Hello darlings. Welcome back. Welcome back. I tell Fifth Circuit they're fired in advance for banning day after pill exclamation point method pristone okay anyway thanks for 229k appreciate that even though it's just all my sensors downloading my shit thanks to all my 229k sensors who download all my podcasts and just check on just to suppress me go fuck yourselves and here's something on my stash that was just posted recently but uh perjury trader green and scary lake little lies have been caught out more lies they both should be well this is my this is my you know Trista's ideal world uh, perjury trader green she would be uh, she would be arrested for insurrection along with the rest of the fucking insurrectionist Republican in the Congress there's like uh, almost 200 of them who tried to subvert the elections along with mr. assface Nazi dump Trump the worst criminal in human history so According to Chomsky, Noam Chomsky, who's a pen pal of mine. We've been listening. What's up, everyone? Cozy speaks with the Midas Touch Network. So now that these new indictments in Georgia have come down against Donald Trump, you're going to hear many of your MAGA friends and family members repeating the exact same lies that Marjorie Taylor Greene recently tweeted. All these communist indictments are about silencing President Trump's speech and ultimately your free speech. Your free speech. Free speech by telling you, you, that, you that you can't like say things like the this. The election was stolen.
if we, the people, can't talk about corruption in our own government, if we can't point out fraud where there's fraud and ask questions about the election systems in this great nation, this once great nation, then we're doomed as a country. And if they can go after him for RICO and all these other people, they'll be coming after me pretty soon because I'm calling out the fraud in the 22 election here in Arizona. She wants to be relevant so bad that she'll make up crimes that she's committing. How delusional can someone be? If they can go after Trump, they can go after me. Yes. If, if we can't point out fraud where there's fraud and ask questions about the election systems in this great nation, this once great nation, then we're doomed as a country. And if they can go after him for RICO and all these other people, they'll be coming after me pretty soon because I'm calling out the fraud in the 22 election here in Arizona. She wants to be relevant so bad that she'll make up crimes that she's committing. How delusional can someone be? If they can go after Trump, they can go after me. Yes, if you break the law, they can. But just like you've been lying about your election being stolen for over a year now and haven't been arrested or indicted, you can continue doing that and we will continue to not care. In fact, most of us wish you'd just go away. And this should tell the people something. Yeah. Why is it that we can't talk Sick about our elections? You're literally on national television right now talking about, talking the, about election. the elections. Duh. You have literally been on national television every other day for the last year lying about the election being sold. In fact, in this next clip, you go on and start lying about the election being stolen again. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've seen it as they roll out ballots, trays of ballots, and count them with nobody present. We've seen it as they break into these tabulator machines and change things up. We watched as 60% of the polling locations in Arizona in August uh, in Republican areas were non-functioning and had machines that didn't work. And they want us to sit down, take it, and shut up. But that's that not going to happen. They just They're going to have to lock each and every one of us up to stop us. Oh my goodness, Republicans want to be the victim so bad that they just can't stop talking about the FBI and the DOJ mm. coming for you and coming for them. They want to be oppressed so bad that they call it a two-tier justice system that only prosecutes Republicans. Really? Carrie oh Lake God. wants to be the villain so bad that she's like, they're going to have to arrest all of us if they want to stop us. Try having the votes changed illegally, Carrie Try getting fake electors to impersonate the real electors. Try sending an angry mob to storm the Capitol. If you really want to be the villain, do some villainous stuff. But you won't. Because we all know this is BS, and we all know that you're speaking to the people who lack the intellect to check the indictment. You forgot to mention, she's also squatting at Mar-a-Lago these days. I'm going to add that as a comment. Lake has been squatting. Fluffer.
Mushroom, eggplant, mushroom, eggplant. Mushroom, eggplant, mushroom, eggplant, mushroom, eggplant. Where are you going, cutie, huh? Oh, come on, taser. Um. To be disqualified from office based on her seditious conduct. last year so I am K. First with a K. Right. So let's take a look at some of the charges in the indictment. Number one, violation of the Georgia RICO Act. Another one, solicitation huh? of violation of oath by a public officer. Another one, false statements and writings, and more that are similar to those, and nothing about silencing speech. But again, you are speaking to the people who lack the intellect to find the truth. And this is why you go around saying things like ballots were rolled in in the middle of the night, and people broke into machines and changed votes, and yada, yada, yada. But when given the chance to prove any of that in court, you couldn't. You're gonna stop this, Carrie. You're embarrassing yourself. Hey, Midas Mighty, love this report. We continue the conversation by She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Tristagram. Then my cell is debunked. Information. Hi, Paul Value, Paul Value, Chair Parker here. This is just posted. Two minutes ago. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. You know, one of the most important things that we do on the Midas Touch Network is try to debunk all of the disinformation out there and to bring the most accurate and specific data we can to all of you. And one of the most horrific disinfo campaigns out there that I see time and time again is whenever there is a disaster, I see certain people with certain interests that are adverse, I believe, to the national interests of our country start spreading these lies and saying things to confuse and manipulate. And that was no different than what I saw recently with these horrific wildfires in Hawaii. 
So many people lost their lives. So many businesses lost. So many people injured. So many people displaced. And I saw all these lies being spread about what's President Biden doing and President Biden's not doing this. And I was just like, enough. And I wanted to get answers. I wanted to go to the source. So we got someone who absolutely knows what is going on. And I wanted the specifics. I wanted the details. So we're bringing on as a guest, Caitlin Durkovich, who is the deputy assistant to the president, to President Biden, and deputy Homeland Security Advisor for Resilience and Response at the White House National Security Council. And I want to ask Caitlin Durkovich, provide some specifics. Let's focus on what is going on, and I want to share that with you. And I know maybe this doesn't fit into a neat soundbite, and maybe that's why legacy media doesn't cover it, or legacy media just wants the drama. But I know that people who watch the Midas Touch Network want the facts, want the data, and want the specifics. So that's what we are going to show you right now. We're going to go to that interview. And one thing I want to mention that's very important is that we encourage Maui residents affected by the wildfires to register for disaster assistance. People with limited phone and internet access can register with FEMA staff in person at shelters. Others can register online at www.disasterassistance.gov by calling 1-800-621-3362 or by using the FEMA app. So without further ado, let's bring in that interview right now. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. We are joined by Caitlin Durkovich, who is the Deputy Assistant to President Biden and Deputy Homeland Security Advisor for Resilience and Response at the White House National Security Council. Welcome to the show. Ben, thank you very much. Uh, thank you for having me today. It was announced earlier today that President Biden will be heading to Maui. A lot of things are being done there, the horrific wildfires, a true calamity. I want to get out there what efforts are being done. This is within your purview. Can you let the people out there know the specifics, though? That's what people want to know. What are the specifics that are getting done? And I thought we should drill down on that today. Uh, ben, great question and, and happy to address that. Um, but yes, the president uh, intends to travel to Maui on Monday, August 21st, uh, we want to make sure uh, that, that as we have considered this, that it is, um, we are not getting in the way, he's not getting in the way of, of first responders uh, and the efforts that are, are ongoing um, to uh, begin to help the island uh, respond following these devastating fire, fire, uh, fires, wildfires. Um, to your immediate question, uh, this has really been a whole of government response, local, state, and federal. Uh, Governor Green last week uh, on Thursday morning requested an expedited emergency, uh, I'm sorry, an expedited major disaster declaration. Uh, the president approved that request within hours of receiving it, um, and it uh, opened up uh, the, the response uh, that we have been helping the state uh, with. Um, we have the good fortune that our uh, regional administrator uh, that serves, the regional administrator that serves the Hawaii region actually happened to be on island 
uh, are, are in the state uh, when the fires broke out, Bob Benton. Um, and he is just a, a terrific human being, a true public servant, uh, has helped both with the MPOX response, but also opera Operation Allies Welcome and knows the response system back and forth. And so even before the expedited major disaster declaration uh, was signed, Bob was uh, beginning to surge um, commodities to the shelters that had opened on Maui uh, to put displaced survivors in them. That's food and water, um, cots and blankets. I think, um, you know, to date were uh, uh, over 50,000 meals uh, have been supplied, tens of thousands of liters of water, uh, thousands of cots and blankets, uh, again, have gone um, to these shelters. I do want to thank uh, the American Red Cross and other voluntary organizations who are terrific partners as we think about sheltering um, displaced survivors. Uh, we couldn't do it without them. Um, the Department of Transportation worked very closely with the commercial carriers. Um, we had to get almost 40,000 people back to mainland and other destinations, and so the Department of Transportation helped orchestrate uh, that effort. Um, as you know, uh, uh, Hawaii is not accustomed to wildfires, and this is really uh, a result of conditions that have been created by our climate crisis. Um, they don't have the same firefighting capacity that um, states like California, Washington, Oregon do because they're not used to these fires. So um, the United States Forest Service has sent personnel to the island um, to help uh, the state with fire suppression um, and uh, strategies to prevent other fire ignitions, but also to help with what we call fire mop-up or cleanup. Um, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, I mean, they're just, they're terrific. We couldn't do disaster response without the Army Corps. Um, they do a, a couple of different things. One is that they help with what we call get lifelines um, restored. As you know, um, power has been knocked out, or was knocked out to um, tens of thousands of residents. The Army Corps has been instrumental in getting power restored, in particular, to the western part. Um, of the island. They have the painstaking task now um, of working uh, with the state and also the Environmental Protection Agency to uh, develop a debris removal uh, strategy. This is actually, we can't start doing debris removal until the fires are fully suppressed and we um, have uh, identified all of the remains and rubble, and I'm gonna come back to that later, but they're developing a strategy for how we're gonna get the debris uh, off island. Um, this is a challenge, it's a challenge in Puerto Rico, but when you deal with disasters in island communities, the um, moving stuff on and off the island uh, is, is something that we have to work through. And again, this is where the Army Corps is, is really um, terrific. Uh, I talked a little bit about the remains. Um, there are uh, uh, 47 canine uh, teams with specialized kind of uh, cadaver sensing capabilities that uh, are on island or will be on island in the next uh, 24 hours. Um, this is a dog uh, and a, a trained specialist. Um, they're remarkable human beings. They come from all parts of the country and are specially trained in doing this. Um, we are also uh, mobilizing, DOD has a POW uh, uh, NIA uh, team that, that goes around the world to 
um, recover remains to identify them. Um, we've actually deployed six anthropologists, specialized equipment and personnel that are part of, part of this um, unique uh, DOD capability to Maui to help uh, with the, the recovery and identification um, of remains. Um, I mean, let's just talk about FEMA. Uh, the Federal Emergency Management Agency is uh, the federal agency for all incident management response in our country. Um, they coordinate this entire, they coordinate the entire federal effort. Uh, they've got 300 people on island. There are over 500 federal personnel on Maui, the 300 of them are FEMA. They do uh, incident management, they help with search and rescue, they help with um, the delivery um, of those uh, commodities uh, and, and are continually assessing the communities and the state's needs and making those requests of the federal family. As part of that expedited uh, major disaster declaration that I talked about, um, we turned on something called individual assistance, which gets um, direct federal assistance to individuals who have lost their homes or their homes have been damaged. Um, over 4,000 uh, um, Native Hawaiians have, have applied for that. We've gotten um, 2 million out the door uh, already. And then in addition, we turned on something called critical needs assessment, which is $700 that goes directly to impacted survivors uh, in cash that allows them to buy prescriptions, food, um, toiletries, things that they may have lost in the island. And then the Small Business Administration has a very, uh, very low interest um, disaster loan program. So again, for uh, survivors that either lost their, their businesses um, or their homes, they can apply for these low interest disaster loans if they're underinsured or not insured um, to help with the rebuilding process. So. Uh, that is, um, let me just say one other thing too, that the Veterans Administration um, is, as you are likely aware, Hawaii is home to a number of military installations uh, and a lot of veterans retire there. So they have opened uh, their centers um, to uh, veterans and to active military personnel. Um, if they need a place to shelter, they're making all sorts of um, resources available uh, to active duty personnel and veterans that are on the island. So uh, that is, I wouldn't say a brief, but a summary of, of some of what we are doing on the island. And that's the summary that people need to hear. People need to hear specifics. What you just described is government functioning and government with extensive coordination between different departments, coordination with local and state officials, and not just providing superlatives, but providing specifics. And what I've seen time and time again with various disasters, and sadly disasters are going to happen in all presidential administrations. And to me, what defines a presidential administration is how do they respond to the disaster? How do they make government actually work and do something? And unfortunately, what I see a lot, uh, especially of late, sadly, is a lot of disinformation that is put out there to try to, I believe, 
you don't have to say, maliciously interfere with plans that are very specific, trying to solve problems that are being implemented. What, what I want to hear from you, too, though, is can you describe, based on your position, though, kind of the overall approach, the philosophy? How does the Biden administration deal with disaster relief? And can you kind of move the curtain a little bit and, 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 and let us all in to see, like, what is it like? What is a day in the life like? And, and, and the overall governing philosophy of, of, of how you respond to disasters. Uh, that's a great question and something I'm, I'm really very proud of and, and happy to answer. I will tell you that no day is the same here. Um, but the president made it very clear since the first day of his administration um, that we will lean in uh, and come to Americans in their greatest time of need, regardless of the color of state that they live in. And we very much abide um, by that rule here at the White House uh, and across what we call the federal interagency or the federal family um, that is responsible for delivering federal uh, response and, and recovery resources and, and assistance to these um, communities. Um, the president uh, is committed to showing uh, to showing Americans that the federal government is working on their behalf again in their greatest time of need. And so um, uh, there's a process by which when a, a, a governor, um, the disaster has exceeded the state's capacity that he can ask for federal support. Um, but I will tell you, we live by the mantra that we let the paperwork catch up. Uh, and that FEMA is looking at the disaster, what the impacts are going to be, um, moving to get uh, personnel activated and deployed, those specialized resources that we bring, search and rescue teams, for example, um, the commodities that we can provide. Uh, even before that disaster declaration is signed, all of that stuff uh, is in motion. My team here is responsible for taking the recommendation. So the governor will submit a request um, to FEMA uh, for the disaster declaration. FEMA makes a recommendation to the president. We are res responsible for getting the various approvals here at the White House before it goes to the president for decision. We often get these requests um, at 10 or 11 at night. Uh, and we will stay up all night. Uh, I've made a few enemies along the way, um, sometimes waking people up to sign off on it so we can get that uh, declaration approved uh, by the president uh, and that aid flowing to the state and to the individuals. And so um, we, you know, the president has approved disaster declaration when he's been overseas, when he's been in different time zones. We've had to wake governors up in the wee hours in the morning before we can publicly announce that we've approved it. We, we actually like to tell the governor that we've done it, and so we have to track down the governor to, to wake uh, him or her up. Um, but it is uh, it is a process that we are committed to doing with uh, speed. I have a great team um, who is responsible uh, for making sure that, that this happens. And then that, that officially um, kind of anoints FEMA um, as the lead federal agency and puts the whole uh, incident management framework and doctrine into place. FEMA, again, is, is 
working to with the, the governor and the state emergency manager to understand where they have gaps, what those needs are. And then they do what they call mission assigned. So if they need search and rescue teams, if they need specialized human remain recovery, they will mission assign the Department of Defense. They may mission assign the Army Corps, the U.S. Coast Guard um, to help uh, to help with these things. And they're continually doing that assessment. That's what some of those FEMA people on the ground uh, do. So that's that's a kind of a sense of, of what happens. And what always has bugged me why I created my own media network is, frankly, I got tired of watching cable news just wanting like a, a fun sounding soundbite or something and not drilling down into issues and i was like do, do people really want to see just like the both sides crap or do they really want to know details and what i found is everything that you're talking about is precisely what people want to hear because um, they want to learn what the government is doing and they're not learning about it from cable news or any other place. So, so finally, before we go, you know, is there any kind of misconception or kind of disinformation that floats out there that you've always said, you know what, I just wish the media for one moment would cover this and let people know that this is what's going on. I want to give you that opportunity to do that here. That's a, a great question, and I would say a, a couple of things. And we've seen um, some narratives around Hawaii um, and, you know, and how quickly we may or may not have responded. Um, every disaster is different. The situations on the ground are complex. Um, and we have to um, respect the, the impacts. And so Hawaii is a great example, right? The fires are not fully suppressed. Um, we have hundreds of people, hundreds of people who are missing and animals who are missing, whose remains may be in the debris. Um, and so there are a couple of priorities. One is that we have to assure the safety of the first responders and the personnel who, who are responsible for that initial uh, response and, and recovery. We don't want to unnecessarily put them in, har in harm's way. So we have to think about uh, how we flow um, resources uh, and response assistance into the state and uh, aren't doing it in a way that um, may impact um, other 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 consequences, other things that we are dealing with. Um, I I wish that we were able to lift up uh, and, and, sh and shine more of a spotlight on the first responders. These are the people, um, as the president says, that run into the disaster, that run into the fire uh, when others are running away. They are remarkable human beings. They put their um, lives at risk every day. The emotional toll um, that they have to deal with and um, searching for survivors and ultimately remains. And I mean, I've had the, the, um, the privilege of traveling with the president to um, some of these disaster sites. And it is, I, I can't tell you, TV doesn't do justice. And when you go, I'll give an example to um, you know, Western Kentucky, after a long track tornado has destroyed, literally destroyed these towns, and you go into neighborhoods and you see families sitting on the stoop and there's no house behind them. Um, and it's house after house. Well, our first responders deal with this, and it's, it's hard. It's emotionally just draining and it breaks your heart. And our first responders do this disaster after disaster. 
Um, and they're just, they're remarkable people. And I think that we, we need to, to um, continue to acknowledge how important um, they are to all of this. Um, we are, you know, again, 100% committed to making sure that we are helping um, survivors in their, in their greatest time of need. Um, it is a whole of government effort. Um, we are focused on it here at the White House, I can tell you. The people who represent these communities uh, in Congress are focused sure. on it. We brief them, we let them know, we hear from them about their concerns. Uh, and so it really yes, is the best of, of speaking in a monotone um, at work. Uh, and I do, I, I think I'll end just with the blue that opportunity now where we do have to answer that question. Notice the. Get out a message, she drones on and on and on. Just drones on and on. Typical corporate Democrat competence. YouTube ads. Waste of money. Okay. Speaks in a monotone. And
It's a waste of money. Yeah. About the message about drones on and on and doesn't really answer the question. point the Democrats are running right now Basically, it is a waste of money. Typical Democrat on incompetence. Waste of money. She speaks in a monotone, and when given an opportunity to talk about things the media doesn't cover, she drones on and on and, can't, and doesn't really answer the question. Reminds me of ads the Democrats are running right now to fundraise, but you can't hear Joe Biden or Jamie Raskin, so basically it's a waste of money. Typical corporate Democrat incompetence. They're not, nobody's going to like that, my answer. <laughs> but it's true. You're fucking incompetent. I, I think I can all end just with the, we have this new dynamic now where we do have a lot of mis and disinformation that is out there. Uh, and so um, we, I, one of the amazing things that, that FEMA does is they've got kind of a social listening capability where they are able to pick up these narratives uh, and where we are able to kind of flood the environment and make sure that we are getting survivors the actual facts about what resistance means, what comes with it, um, what it is and what it isn't. Uh, but this is something that we are increasingly deal dealing with that is making, that is bringing a different aspect to disasters. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, we have to continue to encourage survivors to go to authoritative sources um, for, uh, for their information, to go 
to government websites and to use government materials really to understand what it is that you, that the federal government will do to assist you. Caitlin Durkovich, Deputy Assistant to the President and Deputy Homeland Security Advisor for Resilience and Response at the White House National Security Council. Thank you so much and for joining you. us here at the Midas We appreciate you. your work and uh, thank you for watching. Make sure you hit subscribe on the YouTube channel. We'll see you next time here on the Midas Touch Network. Hey, Midas Mighty. Love this report. Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram. Hey, at Democrats. Touch. Keep up with the fucking incompetence. Hey, corporate Democrats, you're fucking incompetent. What about those YouTube ads you're running? Nobody can hear what you're saying. It's a fucking waste of money. She don't need no Instagram. She just uses Instagram. Not waiting for anything. Already following you. Live the aftershocks of most powerful indictments against Trump and others. One in seven children does not have enough food to uh, live a healthy and active life. Sure, it's more than that. We don't even have to rewrite this intro. Another week, another Trump indictment. I know we just said that the last one was the most important, but we changed our minds. We'll talk about why this Georgia case is truly a unique threat to Trump. Then, Hunter Biden's plea deal fell apart as U.S. Attorney David Weiss was granted special counsel status to continue that investigation. What do these developments mean for the president and his campaign? Finally, Trump, DeSantis, and much of the rest of the GOP field have spent quality time this week in Iowa. We'll break down the cringiest moments from their campaign appearances. And before we start the show, we've been fortunate enough to acquire our whole lot of new viewers and listeners here lately, so it's a good time for a fresh explainer about this show. Let's start with the title, Majority 54. In the past few elections, about 54% of Americans have regularly voted for progress, and the purpose of this show is to serve the people who are part of that progressive American majority, but have people close to them in their lives who are not. I'm an Army vet from Kansas City and a former Secretary of State of Missouri, and I even kind of ran for president for a minute. And Robbie has worked on and won hundreds of progressive campaigns in red states, including as part of both the Obama campaign and the Obama administration. We both believe that the best way to expand the progressive majority is for you to find ways to keep your relationships with your Trump-loving friends from high school or your conservative brother and, in the process, even bring some of them along to our side. We think talking politics with people from work or school or your husband's family is the surest way for all of us to expand that 54%. So every week, Robbie and I go through the news and give you tips on how we think you should approach those conversations. So here we go. This is Majority 54. Hi, Trump. Trump. Oh, man. Slip <laughs> <Slip-tie. laughs> 
So it's on my mind. I can't get rid of this guy. Yeah, I was actually in LaGuardia uh, Airport. Uh, getting, I got there and I was about to fly to Maine. And basically, was getting prodded. All right, you got to do a reaction podcast on this Georgia case. So I wound up slipping into a cold at LaGuardia Airport. That was in my Pacino, just when I thought it was out to pull me back in moment. And honestly, like that intro, I know we said that the last case was the most important, but actually this one is the most important, I think for a couple of reasons. One is there there are more defendants involved, so there are 19 defendants uh, in this case, including notably Rudy Giuliani, um, Mark Meadows. And so just like the sheer quantity of defendants the uh, possibility of people flipping on each other, the conspiracy element, which we'll talk about. But most, of the, I think the, the most important feature of this case is where it takes place, which is in Georgia. And this is that makes this the most threatening case against Trump because, number one, you can't, uh, can't shut down an investigation when you become president if it's a state investigation. So these lawyers don't report to him. But most importantly, you can't pardon for a state crime. So unlike in other states, such as New York, clemency isn't up to the uh, governor in Georgia. Uh, and so uh, the state constitution has a board of pardons and paroles with five members are confirmed by the governor and um, appointed by the governor and confirmed by the Senate. And they, they run staggered seven-year terms. Uh, and the fine print here, Jason, is really interesting for the pardon application. It says people convicted of crimes will be considered only if the applicant has his or her full sentence obligation, including serving any probated sentence, paying any fine, and has been free of supervised and or criminal involvement for at least five consecutive years thereafter, as well as five consecutive years immediately prior to applying. It also says they cannot have any pending charges. Jason, you think that might be an issue for Trump if he seeks a pardon? As I said uh, on another show, uh, given the fact that he's about to be in court more than Sam Waterston, uh, you know, which is, you've got to watch a lot of law and order to get that joke. But, but I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, that yeah, he's going to have a problem with that no other charges part. I mean, not to mention the fact that you're talking about a board that is originally appointed by Brian Kemp, which, though a Republican, is not exactly a guy appointing probably a lot of, like, super pro-Trump people. Uh, so I think that'll be a problem. Yeah, but this judge is interesting, too. He's 34 years old. Does that make you feel old, Jason? It's like it does. it's like when you're looking at these professional athletes who are younger than you. Like, now the uh, now the judges are younger than us, too. Yeah, um, that's right. That's so right. It's, like, it's just going to get worse from here. Let's actually go to Willis. Uh, you get baldy. Charges, you get very clear election workers, soliciting Justice Department officials, soliciting Vice President Pence, 
breaching vote machines and engaging in a cover-up of 161 separate actions. The prosecutor said to take it further this conspiracy. She's, you know, as she mentioned that 41 counts, 22 of those are related to forgery or false documents and statements. Uh, eight related to soliciting or impersonating, impersonating public officers. Impersonating public officers, I don't know, wow. Uh, three related yeah, to campuses. Yeah, I can't hear about that. <laughs> three related to election fraud and defraud the state. Three related to computer tampering. So these are pretty tangible crimes. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of stuff where, like, there's paperwork, right? I mean, literally, like, forging, like, that means there's paperwork, right? Like, yeah. it either you either forged it or you didn't. Um, I... I thought it might be helpful for us to do two things here uh, for people who are going to end up talking about this with people in their life, which is, one, talk about what racketeering is real quick, and two, uh, and I'm going to give the simplest explanation I can, uh, and, and then two, anticipate some of what they're going to hear about um, Fannie Willis. So, one, on racketeering, I mean, the simplest explanation I can give of racketeering is, is basically just that it is running a racket. Uh, that's the root word, right? I mean, it, it's organized crime. I mean, the RICO statutes were created to go after the mob and organized crime. And actually, Fannie Willis has been really, uh, I don't even want to say creative, I would say innovative um, as a prosecutor well before she was the elected prosecutor, just as a, as a line, off, the line prosecutor in the office, about using it in gang cases, using it uh, in all sorts of situations, using it in one instance with um, school officials uh, who had been involved in a, in a cheating scandal regarding standardized test scores. Uh, and, and so it's not new for her to use it in something that might not be directly considered like your typical organized crime situation. But that's what racketeering is. That's where a lot of this comes from. And then the other thing I just wanted to let people know, like, I think you're about to hear a lot of stuff about this prosecutor. Um, and I think, you know, I was looking through her background, one thing we haven't heard much yet in the mainstream, I'm sure it's been all over, you know, truth, social, or whatever, but I think you're about to hear it more often, is that her father was a black man. Now, that's not relevant to this at all, uh, or even necessarily, like, bad, um, but I think you're about to hear it very, very often, and I wanted to call it out now, because that's what we do on the show, is say, like, here's the distractions that they're about to throw at you. Yeah, the, the, you know who else was innovative in the use of uh, racketeering statutes, which we call repo statutes, Jason? I'm thinking Rudy Giuliani. Yes, sir. Well, you know, as a Staten Islander, we were very familiar with this because he was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, and he was a heroic figure in New York at the time. This before he was mayor, he was known as the guy who took on the mafia. And can watch Fear City, which is a, a docu-series on Netflix, which I think does a pretty good job of talking about the origins of these Rico statues, racketeering statues, and actually how there was this like, little-known Cornell professor who basically looked at the, um, the existing Rico law on the books that hadn't been used at the time, and basically was, you know, went to federal prosecutors in the 80s and said, hey, you could use this to bring down the mafia, which is what they did precisely. Uh, and so... And Giuliani was at the lead of that. Now he is the target of a legal uh, indictment, which is insane. Uh, he's also apparently broke, Jason. There's been a story, uh, a number of stories in the past 24 hours about me struggling to pay his legal bills. There also was a story in uh, CNBC yesterday that Trump stiffed Giuliani on a bill for Giuliani's work for Trump. Now, 
Shocking. I, I mean, it's unreal. I tried to make sense of all of these bills, and it was really hard to make sense of. He's paying like these services to host his cell phone that was seized. He's paying for uh, Georgia, uh, some of these Georgia election workers that he defamed. Uh, he said to pay penalties to them. I mean, he has a really like extensive set of legal bills, and uh, I think like I could see him flipping like with all oh, of yeah. this. Well, I mean, I would no point that anybody with Trump would ask him to do. You know, he probably want to phone Trump. I mean, in fact, I think in many cases he was the one coming up with some of the bad ideas. Yeah. Uh, so I think for sure. Also, you know, it's just kind of interesting to look back and think about the the course that Giuliani's life has taken, and that there was after he was not elected, after he didn't get the nomination, like there was a pretty standard off ramp, right? Go be a guy who gets involved in things you care about. You don't actually have to sign up with the demagogue and, and go full whatever uh, with Trump. But he chose to, and like it's just oh, such Monty. a different path that his life could have taken. Um, and now he's... I just wonder if he's going to get to a point where he goes, you know what, uh, I, got, I don't actually want to go to prison. And I, I mean, he's an older guy. Like He's got to say, like, I don't actually want to die in prison. Um, and so... I would really think that there's a high chance that I would also think that there's a pretty decent chance that Mark Meadows is cooperating because we haven't heard anything from Mark Meadows and he is definitely not subscribing to the whole I'm going to litigate my case in public uh, sort of strategy that so many others in the Trump world uh, have. So, With underscore Jason, the, the chances of a flip here are much higher, not just because it's a conspiracy case, but because Trump can't dangle pardons to any of these people. So right. the, the pardons are not just a problem for Trump directly, but it's a problem for him keeping everybody organized and behind him. Uh, and so this is a real issue. I, I mean, I want to take a step back and say it's wild that this is how we talk about the President of the United States and that he's, he's, he's accused of being the leader of a criminal, a, a, a multi-state criminal conspiracy. I mean, it, it, I know that every week brings new ground with Trump, but this is, I would say this is the wildest turn of any of these lessons. It is the wildest turn, and yet at the same time, I feel like this is the case that makes it easiest to help people in your life see Trump in the proper light. And here's what I mean, is that, you know, every, all federal indictments are you know, they're going to become like blue versus red, right, when you have these conversations. It's, it's the stuff that Trump says. It's, well, Biden's going after me because of politics, etc. But given the fact that this is a RICO case, it's an organized crime prosecution, it allows you, I think, to step back and say, well, can we talk about who Donald Trump actually is? Like, take Donald Trump, the politician, out of it. This is a guy who came up in the New York real estate world going boom and bust, then got into casinos, then got into, right? Like, is it really at all shocking that at the end of the day, so many of these accusations against Trump, though they are in a political or a governing context, uh, they're actually just, like, painting him as what he's probably always been, which is, like, a guy who's cutting corners and dealing with unsavory characters and encouraging people to break the law so that he can make a profit. It's just that in this case, the profit is political. And, and so, like, at the end of the day, I just think this reveals that he's always been an aspiring mob boss, and he just finally found a mob uh, that would follow him. Do you understand? So I, I've been hearing 
people, I mean, the Trump arguments are relatively standard and, and almost identical to the last case. First Amendment, uh, he, you know, there's no evidence that he directly committed the crimes, although I want to remind people that this whole investigation started because he's on audio tape asking for particular amount of votes. But, um, <laughs> but, an amount that amounted to enough to give him a one vote victory. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway. Uh, the, but they're arguing, a couple of our arguments, one is why did it take you so long? I'm not sure exactly what that does for them. Chu uh, is I'm starting to hear that this should be a federal case and that they're going to try to get this transferred to the federal because there's multi-state. How does that work? I, I didn't realize you could get a state case transferred to federal well, if it's a, I, I think if it's a federal question, right? You can you can you can argue that it should be, and and that's what Meadows is doing, which I think I think Meadows is the one who who's moved for that, which is interesting, which I also find interesting because it means that Meadows is, for the most part, not under the umbrella of people who Trump is paying for their uh, for their their defense, right? Which again leads yeah. me to feel like a guy who's very quiet, who also did cooperate somewhat um, with uh, with the the congressional investigation. Uh, be cooperating, or maybe looking to uh, cooperate. Oh, so Brent helpfully so. pointed out that if Meadows successfully moves the Georgia case to federal court, it's still Fannie Willis' office that prosecutes it, still tried under Georgia state laws, and a uh, conviction still can't be pardoned. But I guess the advantage to them would be he's trying to get the draw of oh. a Trump-appointed judge. Uh, and I think part of it has to and, do with the timing of this case. Because and I would say most likely uh, the way federal jurisdictions work, I bet it also gives you a much wider draw on your jury pool. So that your jury pool probably comes from that yeah. federal district as opposed to, you know, the county that has elected uh, the county trial uh, court. And this is and then a, you get like regular Georgia. And the, you know? the other people, I don't know what regular Georgia means, but you know what I mean. Georgia beyond Atlanta is, is what they're looking for. Right. Yeah, I think uh, the other issue here is Willis. I think I think intends to try. Uh, I'm hearing that intends to try the 19 defendants together. I don't know how that's going to work. She also said that it's going to happen within six months. I don't think that's possible um, with this many defendants and this complex of a case. But I'll be fascinated to see her try. <laughs> um, that feels very fast. Obviously, like wants with justice here, but that, that seems tough. Um, this, yeah, I, I mean, this is another one of those cases where this thing could bleed right into the very end of this election, and I think this one in particular is, this one might be on TV, I'm hearing, um, like this one might yeah. be uh, I televised. Know, I hadn't heard that. So finally he'll get great ratings right before he goes to fucking prison for the rest of his life. which obviously would be great for the, the Midas Network. Uh, In the Georgia trials...
said hopefully old diaper Don will get awesome ratings in the Georgia trials right before he goes to fucking prison for the rest of his life lol right Hi there, welcome back. We're listening to Majority 54, The Aftershocks, the most powerful indictment against Trump and others. Could you imagine 19 defendants on the, uh, in the dock, like, and including Giuliani and Meadows? Posted 23 hours ago. Some of which are going to testify. I mean, they're going to have Giuliani in there with his hair running down his back. You know, the, the whatever that stuff is he puts in there. And, like, I mean, that's <laughs> going to be, like, how many different limited series will be made about this when <laughs> we're in our 60s? Like, I, I, I mean, one for, like, every possible thing. I mean, they're turning right? these things out really fast. The, the depth heard that documentary is already out. I mean, they're... they're they do these things so fast. I just logged on to Netflix yesterday, and it was already popped up. Uh, yeah. I'm like, this, this is a record time. Um, so, okay. Uh, the I think before we move on to any of this stuff, I think um, I think we need to revisit our power rankings here. Uh, oh, right. I think this one goes to I think I go this one number one. Our power rankings of Trump indictments. Yeah, meaning most threatening to him, I think being the most important um, standard. I think this is number one. I think the last, uh, the, the election interference DC one, even though I think they have less dead rights than number three, which is the Miami case. I think the Miami jury and judge make that number three for me, and then I put Bragg a very, very, very distant four. Um, even though that's a state level crime, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I just think that that one is just not a threat. I don't know. Although that one can't be pardoned either. Yeah, I mean that's why you've got to believe that. that I, I think I agree with you, but this goes to this goes to number one in terms of the most threatening because he, there is no scenario under which he. The only scenario under which he gets out of a conviction is if there is some real stretch of a legal argument made by an appellate court, ultimately the Georgia Supreme Court, um, right? Like, that's the only way, is if that at some point, which is, I, without having looked at all of it, it's conceivable that, uh, that I suppose if there were a very partisan makeup of a Georgia Supreme Court, that they could look at the use of the legal statute here and do something that they've clearly never done in any of the other convictions that she's done under the legal statute and say, well, this didn't actually apply, and just try and, you know, that'd be, that'd be the, really the only escape hatch, because even, even like another Republican president, can't, like, he doesn't have to win, um, another, like, you could, uh, there's a world in which, um, he's the nominee, and he wins, and he, and he parts himself, there's a world in which he loses the nomination, and another Republican wins, and is made to pardon him for all these things, and then there's a world in which he or somebody else is the nominee, but Biden wins re-election, but then in four years, they get, uh, you know, you get a Republican president who ends up having to pardon him, in which case, maybe he does some prison time, maybe he doesn't. Like, those are the only scenarios, but none of those actually apply to this case. So, yeah, yeah. I think. Actually, to, uh, I put fifth the Milwaukee case. 
No, I was just kidding. I was just gonna see if I could slip through. I, I, I was absolutely like, that's how it works. I was like, what are you doing, Milwaukee? Yeah, I'm sure he had something. I just wanted to see it. Right, if he's ever visited Milwaukee, yes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that totally worked because I was like, why am I not remembering the Milwaukee case? Well, one last thing here is, I think it's what people are gonna get treated to now is a. Uh, the series of arguments about the RICO statute, you know, about what Trump's people are going to be doing here. Because these statutes, at, at the federal level, they've been subject to a lot of litigation. People have um, concerns, and I think it's a really fascinating debate about whether they're overbroad, that they're vague, they have double jeopardy concerns, First Amendment issues, Tenth Amendment issues, and there's been, a, there's been a ton of back and forth over whether these are constitutional or not. And one thing you're going to bank on is that uh, these right-wing figures are quickly going to be fashioning themselves legal experts now and arguing that these statutes shouldn't exist. Uh, which, you know, like, th these types of statutes exist because of law and order Republicans, mostly, right? Oh, so, a lot of them yeah. were used initially to prosecute organized crime that had penetrated organized labor, which is yeah. a real good indication that, you know, the Republicans have been fond of these for a long time, right? When you think back, uh, to what, uh, you know, the, there have been at times uh, cases where, particularly I think in New York and Chicago, where the mafia was very tied into organized, organized labor and that sort of So, yeah, all of a sudden Republicans will be, like, you know, but, it, it, but Republicans who are also very quick to uh, try and conflate in the American mind organized crime and organized labor. Like, they genuinely want you to believe that the person who shows up to organize a workplace of, like, nurses is, like, a mobster, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that they would, much like they have abandoned their opposition to Russia. Well, you are from Kansas that. City, where apparently the KC mob... Uh, that was a thing. Historically, it was, a, it was very tight with labor. Uh, a great book about it. Okay, so uh, let's actually shift to, to Hunter. So, I... Merrick Garland made a, a pretty big announcement uh, that I think... Oh, actually, wait. Before we before we go to Hunter, can we talk about this Trump report he's putting out? Oh, yeah. I forgot uh, about that. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, go ahead. Trump has said, yeah, he, he said he's going to release a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report, which is in all caps, on presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia. Uh, and he's going to do this 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster. This is what he said on Truth Social. Uh, do, you, uh, do you think this is a good strategy? I think it's a strategy. I think it's a Trump-type strategy. It's made me think of two things. Uh, one that is kind of silly and, and personal, and then one that is less silly but still personal. Um, okay, so thing one is... So you and I both went to law school, but you had the good fortune to never really practice And I practiced law for, for, for a few years. And I can remember um, there being many times when, like, I was putting together, like, a large legal brief full of arguments, and, and it would just get too big, right? And, my, and I remember, like, one of the lawyers I worked for would come in, and I would take over an entire conference room, and I would have, like, it was like a, you know, a beautiful mind in there, right? I had, like, note cards up everywhere, and, like, I would take over the whole table, like, none of it would make sense, but it would make sense in my brain, and I would put together, like, this 50, 60-page brief. I, I hated doing this stuff, but when I would do it, I would just lean all the way in, 
and then I would file it thinking like, I can blow this judge's mind, and then it would just like, like it was I, like you, you know, because I would get so deep into my own arguments and ideas that I would completely sometimes lose touch with like the idea that like I was just going too deep in, into uh, into my argument, and I think there's a part of that here, and that's not Trump. I think that's this Liz Harrington, the, the staffer that is putting this together. I just picture her in a room with note cards citing crazy stuff that crazy people have said, and she's gotten so deep into building this thing that I believe that she truly believes that this is going to do exactly what Trump is saying, which is cause everybody to be like, oh my God, we got it all wrong. This is the big <laughs> twist at the end. Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. You know, <laughs> like that level of, sorry if I just spoil the movie for bits. You've had plenty of time, people. Um, but that level of twist, and I think she probably in her mind believes that all these charges are going to be dropped and there's going to be apologies. That's the first thing that makes me laugh. The second thing is the Trump side of this, which is this reminds me quite a lot of after Trump won in 2016, when he took office in 2017, he didn't the first thing he did was he wanted to you know, attack American democracy, as he has been doing for many years. And so and with he Russian tried interference. to dress it up and church it up in official sounding and looking procedures and names. And so he created, I don't know what they called it, but it was like the Voter Integrity Commission. And if you remember, Chris Kobach, the then Secretary of State, oh, yeah. now Attorney General, actually, of Kansas, um, was was made to chair the thing. And, uh, and I, at that time, um, I and uh, Abe Rago, who, uh, who worked for me on, on all things political, we went to uh, Tom Perez, who was the chair of the DNC, and we were like, we need a commission that will counter this commission, because it's going to seem really legit. It's a presidential commission on voter fraud. And so I remember uh, Tom Perez was like, okay, let's do it. Uh, he said, Jason, you'll share it. What do you want to call it? And we were like, we want to call it the Commission to Protect American Democracy from the Trump Administration. <laughs> and he was like, don't you think that's a little on the nose? And I was like, I was like, well, I think that's the thing is you got to be on the nose. And so that's what we did. And basically, it was like, it was several people who you would know, like Cory Booker, and Alex Padilla, who's now a senator, was Secretary of State then, people like that. And we, uh, basically, when, when Kobach would do his thing, we would show up and, like, do our thing and protest and stuff. And I think the Kobach Commission only ended up having two meetings because nobody would cooperate with it. But my point is, because it was such a dog and pony show, my point is, like, this is what Trump does. Like, I think... Liz Harrington really believes that she's putting together this smoking gun, you know, argument. And I think Trump is like, look, this is what we do. We say things that are legit are not legit, and we make it seem very official when we do so. And I think this is the same move. Uh, I think it might be a problem with some of these cases. Yeah, it, by the way, you remind me of that. Remember that interstate compact that we were talking about uh, from the states? Uh, to protect the vote, like if they share information for voter fraud uh, prosecutions yeah. and stuff that the Republican states pulled out of. I was just reading an article the other day that uh, Republican states are flailing now to try to tamp down a voter fraud because they just, they were, they're not part of that distribution. It's so crazy. Uh, okay, all right, let's talk about Hunter. Uh, Garland made this big announcement uh, late last week on Friday. Let's go with this clip. July 2023 letter to Congress. The 
This is fascinating for a number of reasons. One is that um, the two star witnesses at the Hunter Biden hearings recently were these IRS agents uh, who um, their big claim was that Merrick Garland, that uh, Weiss, who's the uh, U.S. Attorney for Delaware, who's a Trump appointed U.S. Attorney who's been kept on to keep this investigation going. We should we should point out these are the congressional hearings, not in the congressional. Yeah, yeah, congressional hearings. They had these IRS agents show up who said that, among other things, that Weiss had sought special counsel status and was denied before he was again. And then Weiss quickly clarified, hey, no, actually, I have not sought special counsel status, which makes him even more independent. Like, he's, he's, he was by all accounts independent anyway, but it makes him fully, like, you know, walled off from everybody at this point now. Uh, so Weiss clarified, he was like, look, I haven't sought special counsel status, and if I did, I would get it. And now he's got it. I think this happens also as Hunter's plea deal has fallen apart, which I find really puzzling if you read the details in this. Basically, it seems like the prosecutors and the defense are arguing slash bickering in front of the judge who is asking sort of pointed questions about to Hunter's team about whether they... They believed that the deal that they struck would make them immune from future prosecution, and apparently didn't, but the defense thought it did. Seems like a huge mess. Um, obviously, like this is a, a clear, uh, one of many clear pieces of evidence that the Biden administration is going by the book and walling this off and doing all the proper things. Uh, the right wing is like perplexingly up in arms about this now. I don't exactly know exactly what they want, but they've been calling for this, and now they don't want to, I don't know, it makes no sense. But I would say this is a bit of a mess, both from Hunter's side of things with his attorneys and whatever's going on between them and prosecutors. I'd also say, Jason, like, I think the White House needs to tighten up on this kind of stuff. Like, we go through it, but they've, they've made, like, some contradictory statements, but some that have been contradicted by Hunter, and some that have been contradicted by things that we just know from public record. Biden has gotten really defensive and sparred with reporters about this kind of stuff, including, like, reporters who are just asking basic questions about this. I get that it's his son, I get that he's sensitive to this, but I, I don't think Biden himself has anything to hide, um, and so I think they should, they should get a little bit more buttoned up and organized about this, because this thing ain't going well. I have to imagine this is a super hard thing for the very reason you mentioned, to get buttoned up enough, right? Like, imagine yeah. you're working for Biden, right? Um, Look, we, you don't have to know Biden personally to understand how he feels about his family, and particularly the way, you know, the tragedy that has taken place on more than one occasion with his family, like how, how you know, 
deeply uh, he feels about that sort of thing and how sensitive all that is. But like I, I talked to President Biden before he was president about Bo and about his family, and then he, like, when you talk to him about those things, he it's different than the public book persona. He he slows down. He's even more. You know, it's not like oftentimes with Joe Biden. There is this very charming, folksy nature, but also you do hear the same things over and over, right? So, so it can tend to be like, okay, I get it. That's sort of the persona. And you get below the persona, and he, he talks in the way a father talks about his children and, and his family. And so imagine you're working in the White House, and you have to address this kind of thing as like, hey, we really need to be thought, we need to be um, really uh, reticent to address any of this, and we can't. We can't get our back up about it. We can't be offended. Who in the White House is going to go tell a father that, right? Like, somebody obviously is, but that's a very difficult thing to do. And so I just, you know, I'm only saying it to say I sympathize with both Biden and with the staff and having to deal with something like this that is, as you said, not in any way because of the president's doing, um, but but the Republicans are working very, very hard to make it seem like it is. Yeah, you know, there, there are a couple of missteps here that I think are just one-on-one type of stuff on this. And again, like, I, it is understandable that he was censored by the Senate senator. But, uh, number one, don't snap at reporters who are asking questions. Uh, I think two is, don't answer for your son. Like, he's, he's at various points answered questions about who got paid by what. There was one inter- interaction that, you know, when I was in my debate with Ricky uh, about this, um, he understandably threw it back in my face, which was Biden basically going line by line with the reporters saying, oh, we didn't know Biden, including my son, received money from X, Y, and Z. And it turns out that it wasn't exactly accurate. It wasn't it wasn't inaccurate because Joe Biden took any money, which he would know, but his son did. And the Biden shouldn't be answering questions for his son anymore. Let his son answer, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I was thinking a lot about this. I was thinking about like, how we could be helpful to listeners, and I think it's about how not to respond to this stuff, right? So, like, when, because Hunter Biden is going to come up uh, a fair amount, right? Yeah, this thing uh, ain't going We know this. I mean, they're going to talk about this. I mean, heck, they talked about it in the midterms, and Biden wasn't on the ballot. Um, so we know that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, so I think the first thing I could say is how not to respond which is, I don't think it, and this is most people's first instinct, but I don't think it does much good to compare Hunter Biden to Jared Kushner, or to compare Hunter Biden to Donald Trump Jr., or to compare to Ivanka, because I think that's what the Republicans want, and that's what Trump world wants, because, as we know, like, there is the idea of the Biden crime family is an invented concept, right? Um, but no, it's egregious and fact-based. The surest way to make it feel real the fraud that they is committed. to equate the two. Because the thing is, like, a lot of Republican voters, Griff, whether they Griff. say it out loud or not, the they, they agree, or they at least acknowledge, that Trump doesn't always stay on the right side of the law, and that his family doesn't stay on the right and side of the law. The but they've decided that they make that in, and they've either justified it or they've accepted it decided, well, I like what he did with this, or I like the way he hurts the people I want hurt, or whatever it is. So when, when you 
when you compare the two, even though the comparison is beyond apples and oranges, they're, they're completely separate, once you're comparing them, now you're doing what they want, which is you're muddling them, and you're making them both the same. And politics is the only world where that can so easily be done, right? You can take two things that have nothing to do with one another, but because people have such a deep cynicism about politicians, if you just put two things in the same sentence, now they're the same. Uh, and and so I think people have to be careful not to fall into that trap. Yeah. Well, okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, and here from the front, we'll come no, back. Not. Well, we're going to break yeah. down. Well, sorry, just uh, well, when we come back, we're going to no, keep no, the no, final no, word on this. Calling then, Trump. Calling Trump again. Dirt NHS. <laughs> the hell? They'll, they'll talk about what's going on in the lives of everyday Americans. Hi there, so shout out to KMP Super Radio with the Universe to the Redstone. Now, I'll keep it for your future on the radio. On the rest with Chester Show, Chuck Radio. going on in the lives of everyday Americans, and that's what you've got to do, because at the end of the day, people are not going to, people who are leaning toward voting for Trump, or a Republican in the next election, are not ultimately going to come around and vote for Biden because they figure out that they don't like Trump, or they don't like the Republicans who have supported Trump. They, that, if that was going to happen, it would have happened years ago. When they come around, it's because they don't like the extreme positions on abortion, or because they don't like uh, the idea of their health care being taken away. They don't, you know, any of these sorts of things. So you make the statement that concedes that there's clearly been some bad behavior by Hunter. You empathize with the situation, and then you talk about, well, you know, I don't know about all that stuff. Let me tell you why I can't support Trump. And don't make it about Trump's behavior. Make it about things that Trump and the Republicans stand for. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Well, amen to that. Uh, Jason, let's pop down to uh, Iowa. Uh, you know, we're at that place now where the candidates are spending basically as much time as possible as down in Iowa. And although Trump is trouncing the rest of the field nationally, it's a bit narrower in Iowa. He's still got a pretty sizable lead, but it's narrower in Iowa in part because it's a smaller <laughs> state. A lot of his opponents are spending all of their time down there where he has Trump, you know, as we declare is pretty distracted by other matters. Uh, but Iowa also, these voters, I, I, I was out there for the Obama campaign in 2007, 2008, they really value their place as the voters get to vote unquote select the right? They want to go first. They, they, they have a little bit of ego about it. Uh, and uh, in this case, Trump's opponents, I think, largely think that this is their last stand. You know? They don't they can't beat him in Iowa. It's hard to imagine them beating him at all. And uh, Trump, I think, is taking notice of down In Iowa in 16? Yeah, I so mean, there is, a, the there is a lot of history of, of people winning, losing Iowa and still winning the nomination. Ted Cruz won Iowa, and if you remember in 2008, how could he won Iowa, although Obama won Iowa, so uh, it doesn't matter. But the So um, Trump went down to Iowa. Uh, and uh, he was asked about DeSantis. Uh, this is at the Iowa State Fair, which I've had the chance to do. It's quite, quite, quite. Uh, here's DeSantis uh, 
Is he saying that that was a positive thing? His tariffs, because that that destroyed the farmers in America. No, it's no, fucking uh, part of what they're asking him is China, trade war with China over the fucking nothing, over uh, his fucking ego. Like local Wherever party ego groups, goes, like the heads of the ego. local parties, etc. And in this case, they asked him about state legislators who like him. DeSantis also uh, is cozy with the governor. Of Iowa, and he did an event with the governor, um, at which he was heckled. Uh, this might not come across yeah. perfectly in audio, but let's go to this clip. Uh, this is DeSantis trying to do a, a, an interview at the Iowa State Fair with the governor of Iowa while Trump supporters uh, are just chiming in from the audience. So it is very odd that you have a guy who is 
basically the establishment in the party, and yet at the same time, he's the anti-establishment figure. Um, and that, at the end of the yeah. day, Again, way is to put it. why it's incredibly unlikely that he's unseated as the, as the nominee, because when you are the establishment the and the anti-establishment, there ain't a whole lot of room left to fight you. But it's also why he is so dangerous as a nominee, more so than he was, because he doesn't play by the rules. Uh, as we know, like as many courts or many prosecutors have attested to now. Um, and that means it's, it's like if Ron DeSantis is the nominee, Lawless. You, you don't have to rewrite the playbook on how to run for re-election if you're Joe Biden uh, or if you're a candidate for the U.S. Senate and you're having to run in that environment. But, but you have to rewrite the playbook every time to run against Trump because his people are just not above showing up and disrupting the comments of the governor of their state. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, and trolling, like, like having a banner that just says, be likable. And so that's what I took. Well, uh, I have one other video to show you that I think, honestly, I think, did you, did you know about this before I texted it to you? No, I didn't even receive text that. Uh, I texted this to you as soon as I saw it. Okay. I, I want to remind our audience that we were early on this Vivek thing. Vivek Ramaswamy, yeah. we've been talking about him for a while. He's now pulling second in the most recent poll that I saw uh, in the national oh, poll, which is insane. Uh, and so uh, he decided to uh, give performance at the Iowa State Fair. Let's go to this clip. Now he opened his mouth, but the word won't come out. Ramaswamy did lose herself at the end of his Q&A. Yes. So, uh, well, okay. how I, do we I break this down? I have something to say about this. <laughs> there are kind of two camps of politicians that I've dealt with at Arena. Um, you mentioned at the beginning, I've talked to a lot of candidates. There are people who were really cool at the popular person in school, and part of their appeal as candidates are very popular, right? You think of Wes Moore, you think of Barack Obama, Cory Booker. You have these people who are just like, cool. And part of their appeal is people like them, campaigning comes easy to them. Then you have a lot of people, and I would say this is probably the majority of people who run for them. I would say you're a cool person, Jason. And, you know, I would be careful. Yeah, you I appreciate that. Um, no, I appreciate that. I was somewhere in the middle. I was like sometimes cool, and I, I was never not cool, but I was sometimes just people like, oh yeah, that guy's there. So. Then there are the vast majority of candidates out there. Uh, and and I, I would say no offense, but it is offensive to these candidates, what I'm about to say, which is the people who are just really, really not cool and part of their sort of their, their complex that makes them decide to run for office and go through the gauntlet of running for office is like this deep-seated just like wounds that they have of being nerds or outcasts or whatever. And when I look at Vivek Ramaswamy rapping... Eminem to a crowd at the Iowa State Fair. I can't help but think this guy is a kind of a loser. I don't know what else to say. Like he's a guy who like clearly has some deep seated issues going back to high school, maybe middle school. Uh, I can't imagine what would make him decide to do that. 
Um, but he's the kind of guy who I guess doesn't have the kind of staff who's going to step in. And you were talking about like Joe Biden's staff, like needing to tell him the uncomfortable truth. Somebody needs to tell Rebecca the uncomfortable truth about this performance. Well, okay, let me play devil's advocate just oh for fun, okay? Which is that he didn't do a horrible job. He didn't do a good job of performing it, you know? But it wasn't completely cringy. But what it's is a it? Bit. But what is it, is what I'm saying. Like, it's not I like... Think, well, here's it, my point. Here's my cool. argument, is that if, you have, if you're a Republican at the Iowa State Fair who is considering Vivek Ramaswamy, it has to be like you've got to be somebody who is attracted to the idea of the next generation something different somebody who delivers the same sort of hateful language and lines and, and intolerance but does it and you know we had I forget um, the young woman's name who came on the show and talked about uh, gender washing where they where the Republicans will have a candidate who says all of the same hateful and terrible things, but it'll be a woman, and so it seems not quite as harsh because it's a woman. And, you know, here you have an Indian, I think he's Indian-American, right? An Indian-American guy um, who is young. Those two things are not considered typically Republican. And now he's, you know, rapping, which is way off the chart of things that are considered typically Republican, particularly conservative. Too cool the, I was for Republicans. So is it some brilliant strategy to actually be different in a way that, you know, none of the others have been able to become different. I don't know. I don't think so, but I wanted to say those words and see what would happen. I've had enough of the GOP field, Jason. Let's grab an Okay, absolutely. So, uh, for Gravenor, um, what I was thinking we would talk about this week, just real quickly, um, is uh, what's going on in Hawaii and, and in Maui um, with horrible tragedy, the fires, the people have lost their lives, and uh, it's just an opportunity for all of us to Apparently try and do something about it to and, and be supportive of the oh, efforts there. The I was looking up different causes. I Happened think in the middle of the night, seven, seven fires started at the same it, time. You know, with me is the Hawaii Community Foundation. They have Sounds a like strong sabotage um, to, me. to me, that made the most sense because it is, uh, it's local, and there's really no doubt uh, whether or not you know, it's local and whether or not the money's going to stay there. And so I found several places where it was recommended. So I would just encourage people, you know, look, this show is about us being able to make arguments and make inroads in red states, but it is also really just about trying to help people in blue states or red states. And so I always need to help them. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah, well, I'm over in Maine. Great state. Uh, I'm in Booth Bay Harbor. Maine. I hadn't been in Maine in about a decade, but uh, came up here because the there's you know New England in the summer. Because you were up in Boston recently, New England in the summer is beautiful. Oh, it's amazing. I don't go near it in the winter time, but when it's nice out, love it. One of the best places in the world. So I'm just up here enjoying enjoying life after sailing. After this, yeah, and I'm training for the the, the open that the tennis match where if I lose, I get to catch you on my plane. So. I'm, Okay, when is that? That is uh, September 9th. Yeah, I was going to say it's coming up. Okay. Uh, I mean, I love My game's getting tight. Once. I'm getting tight. Um, I'm actually doing a legit, my first legit tennis tournament the weekend before that in Brooklyn. Oh. There's like a uh, Prospect Park is having a uh, tennis tournament that I'm entering. You could practice for the Curvita Open. Um, but I'm entering like an immediate uh, part of it. So I'm 
That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, good for you. Well, As you know, I'm a big supporter of competitive sports of all ages. Yeah. Uh, so, um, well, I, first, real quick, the one for us is, I'm going to mention again that the paperback from Business Storm, uh, my book has come out, uh, and people can get it uh, wherever you get your books. Uh, but, really what I want to talk about is today is actually uh, mine and Diana's 20th wedding anniversary. Oh my god. Um, yeah, which is which is very cool, and I've been you know really reflecting on this uh, today and yesterday, and I, you know yesterday was like just a day. You know, I love my wife every day, um, but yesterday I was just feeling an awful lot of love, and there were two moments: one where, um, as you know, the Rose family, that I think family that we've been a part of helping them get out of Afghanistan because of our connection to them from my service, but also. Uh, getting them here to the United States, and now they live um, half the last eight weeks, six minutes from our house here in Kansas City, and become part of our family. And uh, my wife has just really, really jumped in to uh, doing things with the Ruthie family. Um, in fact, you know, yesterday uh, she organized. She organizes every year in our neighborhood, um, along with a couple of neighbors, just a water balloon fight with the neighbor kids and with our kids. And this year we went and got the Ruthie kids, and, it, and so it was like a really sweet moment where my wife, had, you know, and I had told Raheem Ruth, the head of the family, when he was still stuck in Afghanistan, and I was trying to help him get out. I said to him, one day our kids will play together in my backyard, and so, you know, and just my wife making that happen, it made me feel a lot of love. But then a couple hours later, we were at True's baseball game, and you know, when Diana and I were dating uh, many, many years ago now, um, and even before we had kids, like she never, and this is probably true for a lot of women. She never saw herself as like, she, like I always would, like, just couldn't wait to be a dad. I don't think she's been a person that's like, I can't wait to be a mom. Um, huh. She always is like, I know we're going to have kids, but like it was not a part of her future identity or anything like that. But she's this incredible mom, but she's also this, you know, she, she's a, a great speaker and a businesswoman and she does all these things. But there was a moment yesterday at True's baseball game where um, she's sitting there with Bella on her lap. And True uh, was like sliding into third. He was running into third. And I heard Diana, louder than anybody else, yell, down, down, <laughs> like top of her lungs, like tell, yelling at True to slide. Uh, and then like the ball was over there and she was like, go, go, you know. And, and it was just really funny because I just immediately thought back to, uh, you know, my wife, who I remember once looking at a woman who was wearing, at my military intelligence school graduation, there was a spouse there wearing a black shirt, and there was a toddler that was eating Cheetos, and it was, it was like oh all over God. her. And my and Diana was like, at least two more years before we have kids. At least two more years. And and now she's like full on travel baseball mom, and, and like really into it. And anyway, so I'm feeling a lot of love as I am every day. For well, congratulations, twenty years. My goodness. Uh, and the the book you mentioned at the start of this, I, I made this point when it first came out, but it's as much a love story as it is anything else. It's a really touching book and, and Diana actually has uh, she she for those of you who haven't read the book yet, Diana kind of weaves in throughout the book on Jason's account of, of things and it's I've never seen a book do it like that and it's really lost. Well thanks. I appreciate it very much, and uh, this has been fun as always. Um, thank you, everybody. Uh, remember to subscribe to Majority 54 wherever you listen to audio podcasts. Just search Majority 54 and please leave a five-star review. Thank you to the Midas Mighty. And remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today.
especially one that wasn't geofenced. So if you hear this, freaking miracle, share my shit and piss off my sensors. Let's see what else might have said. Uh, so say, Judge Cannon issues bizarre order and keeps making errors. So why the fuck don't you remove her? Now delivering groceries. You shop we drop 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 drop. Trump versus Judge Cisco phone call. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network, watching Judge Eileen Cannon continuing just to fumble order after order, not realizing what's even going on. Case filed by Special Counsel Jack Smith against Donald Trump and two other co-defendants relating to the willful retention of national defense information as well as obstruction of justice and making false statements for effectively stealing top secret and classified documents that belong to the United States government and trying to cover it up. And as I've said before, Judge Eileen Cannon's corruption is matched by her incompetence, inexperience, and stupidity, if I'm being crude, but accurate here. And so Judge Eileen Cannon, in this most recent order, she's seeming to realize, oh, wait a minute, this is a case that involves classified information under SEPA. Wait a minute, I'm not allowed to hold certain hearings in public if we're discussing the classified information at issue. Those have to be done under seal. Oh, wait. I keep on striking special counsel Jack Smith's documents that he's submitting under grand jury secrecy, but those documents are supposed to be kept confidential. Oh, wait. I'm about to get reversed by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeal again, and I am in big trouble. So Judge Eileen Cannon, in this most recent order, she had originally said at a hearing to discuss the Section 3 SEPA protective order that was filed by Special Counsel Jack. I'm the only presidential candidate calling for her immediate removal from the case. She's just wasting everybody's time. It's exactly what her Fuhrer wants her to do. who has been calling for Judge Oh, Jack Smith, attention, capital siege section, to file to remove her. Make sure they file to remove her immediately. Midas, mighty. Outrageous, I am the only presidential candidate calling for Judge Cannon's immediate removal 
From the case, Midas Mighty, please call the Justice Department attention. Jack Smith, Capital C, Section 5. Tell him. Tell him. Smith and his team. She set the hearing. Oh, by the way, I said outrageous. I am the only presidential c candidate calling for Judge Cannon's immediate removal from the case. Midas Mighty, please call the Justice Department attention. Jack Smith, Capital Siege Section. Tell him filed to remove her immediately. This 25th, 2023, she set a public hearing. These SEPA hearings take place under seal by law. There has been all of this briefing taking place, and she must have just looked at her calendar and said, oh, wait a minute, August 25th, that's next week already, and if this hearing is going to take place, it's not allowed to take place. Christopher Press. Trump for prison. In public. So here's the order that she just issued, and let's explain together what it all means. Order scheduling sealed hearing on SEPA Section 3 protective order. A sealed hearing on the special counsel's renewed motion for protective order pursuant to Section 3 of SEPA, Classified Information Protection Act, will take place at a designated time and place to discuss sensitive security-related issues concerning classified discovery. Any forthcoming motion for a SEPA Section 3 protective order as to Defendant De Oliveira, that's the maintenance worker who was indicted in the superseding indictment by the grand jury in Florida. Well, that shall be... Okay, everybody call. I'm gonna add sign the Justice Department. DEPT. The Justice Department 202. DOJ, DOJ. Ayo. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. The American people need to know. And remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting everyone's uh, everybody, our time. Stop wasting time. Wasting time.
It's just more, just more preferential treatment for diapered on, diapered on. <laughs> it's all about delay, delay, delay. Christopher Price, Trump for prison. Okay. Call the, the Doge. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. American people need to know and remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting time. Just more preferential treatment for diaper dawn. Everybody call the Justice Department, 202-514-2000. Demand televised Trump trials from now on. The American people need to know. And remove Judge Cannon immediately from the case. Stop wasting time. Just more preferential treatment for diapered on. Delay, 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 delay. Trust for press, Trump for prison. Um, hmm. Rides to the ads. <laughs> Be proud if you're nothing like Donald Trump. Let's not forget. Here we go. Let's see who should I tag? Well, whoever you're going to tag, do it quickly, Trista. Alright. Right. No problem, no problem, then. And, so how are you guys doing? Obviously, you barely survived the Trump virus. Everybody. Hey, here's some good news. If we can get through this little traumatizing post Traumatic Trump Syndrome, PTTS, Beachview, South Africa. Um, let's see, how about some Popak? Citizens for Ethics, Midas Touch, Occupy Democrats, No Lie with Brian Tyler Cohen, Washington Post Opinions, Opinion.
the hill opinion opinion apparently anybody can get in uh, something in the hill he, he just uh, old diaper don gave a shout out to the hill oh, Hi there, we're back, and uh, let's get back to the show, man. <coughs> uh, oh, Judge Cannon issues bizarre. We're on this Judge Cannon issues bizarre uh, thing, and I'm saying, stop wasting our time. Call the DOJ and tell them to fucking file and remove her from the case immediately. They should have done it before. What the fuck are they wasting everybody's time for? She just she's just delaying for him. Just falling straight into what he wants. Order as to defendant De Oliveira, that's the maintenance worker who was indicted in the superseding indictment by the grand jury in Florida. Well, that shall be filed on August 22nd, 2023, following meaningful control to permit the court's collective consideration of all SEPA Section 3 issues at a sealed hearing. Two, defendants are not required to appear at the sealed hearing, so Trump, Waltine Nauta, his co-defendant and valet, as well as the new co-defendant, Carlos De Oliveira, the maintenance worker. Those three need not appear. That's standard. Three, there will be no hearing on August 25th, 2023, as previously reserved in the court's scheduling orders. She's going to come up with a new date when this SEPA hearing will take place. I will note as well, though, here, you go to sub one, any forthcoming motion filed by Carlos de Oliveira. Can I just reflect for a moment? Why would Carlos de Oliveira have anything to do with this SEPA hearing, though? Again, it shows Judge Cannon's inexperience. De Oliveira was the maintenance worker, okay? He wasn't charged with the willful retention of national defense information. No, he was charged, Judge Eileen Cannon, with obstruction of justice working in a conspiracy with Donald Trump and Donald Trump's valet, Waltine Nauta, to attempt to destroy surveillance footage. If you've even read the indictment, Judge Cannon, why would De Oliveira have any right to look at classified information at all? Just going to give random defendants classified information? I mean, he was not even being charged with the willful retention. Trump's being charged with willful retention of national defense information. Waltine now does not being charged with willful retention of national defense information, which is one of the things that Special Counsel Jack Smith points out as well in his reply papers that were filed earlier in the week to Judge Cannon, which is Nauta should have no right to these documents. Nauta's lawyers may be able to review it on a as-needed basis, and I suppose if there is a request to show Nauta a specific document, we can deal with that on a case-by-case -case basis, but Nauta, the valet, De Oliveira, the maintenance worker, there's no right for them under SEPA to have any of these documents. So here's the thing. Under SEPA, Classified Information uh, Protection Act, SEPA, um, there is a process that takes place. There is a classified procedures officer 
who kind of acts like a special master or an independent monitor who helps the parties navigate issues because we're dealing with highly sensitive information. Um, so that officer works with the court, works with the parties in handling these documents because if they're revealed publicly, it can cause grave harm to our national security. It's one of the things that Trump's ultimately being charged with. He was taking these documents and also just showing it to people, keeping them haphazardly, stealing them documents people. that didn't belong to him in Stop. the first place. Donald Trump's just a regular citizen right now. A horrific one, and what about but that's the rest what he is. He's no longer in office. He doesn't have the rights to these documents. He was asked to return them, lied about He's it, still got justice, and he was going in his hundreds of boxes. Saying, hey, everybody. You know, to these people go eighteen thousand boxes and say, Hey everybody, aren't I better than General Milley? Aren't I cooler than him? <laughs> you know, not funny at all. This results in people dying, getting people killed the way these documents are being handled. This blew my mind. Admit that the Justice Department them to the rest of our boxes Yes, Trump. Christopher Press, Trump for prison. And what I found. So I said, I am the only presidential candidate calling for the Justice Department to get a search warrant and search the rest of his properties immediately. Presidential, I'm the only presidential candidate calling for get the rest of our boxes of national defense secrets. I'm the only presidential candidate calling for the immediate incarceration and disqualification of diaper Donald Jackass Trump. Trusted for Prez, Trump for prison. But did you know that money is a personal finance app that binds and Jackass um, Donald Jackass diaper Donald Jackass Trump. That's rocketmoney.com slash Midas Touch. So here, Judge Eileen Cannon's like, oh, wait a minute, this shouldn't be a public hearing, which she previously scheduled. So she's learning in real time what her case is about. As I mentioned earlier, she still clearly doesn't know what the case is fully about as it relates to De Oliveira, the maintenance worker. But she's like learning the case, and that's why she's so inexperienced. She should have recused herself from the outset because, one, Trump appointed her, so she has the appearance of impropriety. But number two, she was reversed twice by the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals 
finding that she unlawfully asserted jurisdiction over the search warrant executed in Mar-a-Lago on behalf of Donald Trump, the person who appointed her. So she should have recused herself. She didn't. She also has very little experience in criminal law in general. She hasn't even presided over that many cases. The few that she did, she had big problems in. She forgot to swear in the jury. She wouldn't let family members of one of the criminal defendants show up in court, which is also a violation of constitutional rights and would have led to a per se reversal had that criminal defendant not eventually pled guilty. But just very sloppy, doesn't know what she's doing. And as I mentioned before, she's created a legal quagmire in her court with all of with not taking control of the court, not knowing what she's doing. She's asking the parties to brief the propriety of grand jury proceedings that are still taking place in Washington, D.C., about potential other crimes Donald Trump committed with these documents that he stole. Because Hi, we're listening to the latest breaking news about Diaper Donald going to fucking jail. This is MSNBC published three hours ago. Uh, where they promote, uh, you know, fascist-style violence against government officials. I mean, my God, just look, he's not a Trump supporter, but he's learning to play Trump's game. Ron DeSantis, when asked about federal employees, he said on the first day he's going to slit their throats. This is the rhetoric that has taken over in the Republican Party, and we see the consequences of it. And the Republican Party leadership not coming out, denouncing it, and none of the candidates or the top-tier candidates are really denouncing the violence, uh, the rhetoric, uh, as you point out, slit throat all the way to Donald Trump saying, I'm going to come after you. In the midst of people being arrested and one man shot dead because he was had a, a weapon at FBI agents and the racial language. I mean, this woman to call a federal office or call a judge's chambers talking about uh, to a slave using uh, a word that rhymes with the N word. Donald Trump himself, their leader, using the term rigors which uh, clearly rhymes with the N-word. I mean, this is not 10 years ago or 30 years ago when we marched against him on the Central Park Fire. Uh, I'm talking about he, within the last 24 hours, used the term rigors. Is this the kind of party the Republicans want to show the country that they are? There's no wonder independents are running away from them. Mm -hmm. To identify with blatant racism and blatant violence Mm -hmm. is not the party that we need. And as uh, I've never been a Republican, never leading their way, but we need a two-party system, but we don't need one that prides itself in bigotry. Yeah, and Trump has used, of course, that racist and inflammatory language for so long and only leading into it further as he's dealing with whether it's this judge who is African-American or D.A. Alvin Bragg of Manhattan, a black man. This is something that he is putting central to his defense and his supporters are following their lead. And, and guys, Joe Mika, this is something I've been hammering home for months now. I keep talking about how I've been taught to state and federal officials so worried about the threat of violence has entered our politics. The Paul Pelosi example was just one of it. Uh, they feel like this has now been normalized because of the Trump era, because of January 6th, and they deeply worry that's going to become more of the norm, that there will be more threats and more acts of violence as part of the political process uh, as we lead up to the 2024 election. Deeply, deeply worrisome.
Don't disagree with that at all. And still ahead on Morning Joe, an update on the push by former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows to move his charges in the Georgia election case to federal court. Plus, none of the criminal prosecutions of Donald Trump can keep him from running in 2024. But our next guest argues the former president might already be disqualified. We'll explain why. Also ahead, the latest on wildfire charges for threatening the federal judge in Donald Trump's election case. We'll have the disturbing details on that. Meanwhile, a Trump ally who's been off the radar for a while is making headlines this morning. We'll show you the video of Roger Stone that could do serious damage to the claims from Trump's legal team. I, 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 saw, I saw it on Ari Melber <laughs> last night. Staggering. It's It's staggering. He's... Actually, before the election's called, yeah, mapping it out. He's mapping out the entire, uh, the entire conspiracy, the enterprise that they followed to to undermine the election and to take votes away from the voters and have Republican Trump-friendly state legislators steal states for Donald Trump. And they follow that roadmap. What's fascinating is again, he did this. Before, before the election was called. We'll have that videotape for you. Also ahead, a significant show of solidarity from allies in the Pacific. We'll explain the major meeting happening tomorrow at Camp David. With us, we have the host of Way Too Early. What the hell? When the sun comes out, it brings out the best in us. No ads, man. Just like it brings what out the, the best in Nick Tyson. Nice Come on, let me get rid of this shit. Thanks Nick for 229k on my podcast. Thanks for 229k on my podcast. I'm David. With us, we have the host of Way Too Early, White House Bureau Chief at Politico and author of The Big Lie, Jonathan Lemire, president of the National Action Network and host of MSNBC's Politics Nation, Reverend Al Sharpton, and founder of the conservative website, The Bulwark. Charlie Sykes is with us this morning. Let's start with new polling on how Americans view the serious legal issues surrounding Donald Trump and their impact on the presidential race. Despite strong support among Republican voters, new numbers show Trump's criminal charges could spell trouble for him in a general election. That's that's an understatement. We have a lot of legal uh, issues to get to pertaining to all of this. But first, the politics of it seems to be playing out. In the latest AP NORC Center survey, nearly two-thirds of adults, 64 percent, say they would probably or definitely not support Trump if he is the Republican nominee next year. Overall, 62% view the former president unfavorably, compared to 33% who view him favorably. As for the four pending cases against him, just 15% of Americans are buying the ex-president's claims that he did nothing illegal in the Georgia case. And when it comes to his hoarding (laughs) of nuclear secrets, on the contrary, 53% say his actions were illegal. 53% also say they approve of the decision to indict Trump in the federal election interference case. So so, so we we have a number of polls here. There's more coming. Dan had suggested that we 
uh, break these up beforehand. And, and I thought, no, well, why don't we get them all? There's, there's so many. There's so much to get to there before we even get to the Fox News poll. Uh, but Charlie Sykes, um, this is what Republicans have quietly been panicking about. Uh, you look at these numbers, uh, 64%. Uh, Jonathan O'Meara, we'll go to you real quick. 64% in the AP poll, 64% say they're not going to support Trump next year. I actually saw people connected with Mitch McConnell and, and other Republicans uh, tweeting that out, that this is devastating. I mean, that's who the Republicans are moving towards putting up. He has a 33% approval rating, a favorable rating in that poll. The majority believe what he did was illegal. And there are so many other polls that came out yesterday that are showing the same thing. Uh, independence nah. breaking dramatically away from Donald Trump. Independence saying he should have been indicted. Independence saying overwhelmingly that what he did was illegal. Uh, and you look at the, it's, it's strange that, that uh, to me at least, but actually the Georgia case, um, voters are more hostile toward him on the Georgia case than actually election interference, where it's still... Forty-seven percent say what he did was illegal, uh, and an additional eighteen percent said it was unethical. But, but the Georgia case and the classified documents case, those two cases look like the strongest. Which is exactly what Andy McCarthy wrote about in the New York Post a couple of days ago. That it's those classified docs and the Georgia election interference cases that are going to cause him the most trouble, probably legally and politically. Well, that's the same view held in Trump world, that those are the two cases all along that they've been most concerned about, in part because they're the easiest to understand. Americans, even who are not paying that much attention, who sometimes get lost in the there's a steady stream of headlines that emanate from Donald J. Trump, mm -hmm. they get the idea of you shouldn't have Stolen nuclear documents. secrets at your golf club in Florida. They also have heard <laughs> the phone call in which he's pushing the Secretary of State of Georgia, Brad Raffensperger, to find him the votes he needs to win. They get that. They, that resonates. Donald. That breaks through. And the poll is startling, Joe. Going through a little bit more here. You know, there are 54% of people polled say Donald Trump threatened the very idea of democracy, while only 19% say he defended. And again, among the general populations, this is both parties, 64% of Americans, 64% of Americans say they will definitely or probably not support Trump in 2024. That only leaves you with 36%. You can't win an election with 36%. So this is as much as Trump has tightened his grip on the Republican Party, and while he is far and away ahead in the GOP primary field, these are general election numbers. These are general election numbers that not only would spell a loss for Donald Trump, but drag down the rest of the ticket, too. And that's why there are a lot of Republicans panicking that the, they could lose the House and the Senate would be, their chance to retake the Senate would also be jeopardized if Trump's name is a top of that. You know, we've been very careful not to draw any conclusions on where Republicans are going to go, um, uh, just because it's been so impossible to figure that out over the past six, seven years. My former party, we will say Charlie Sykes, for me, uh, this is feeling a lot like June of 1974. 
leading up to Nixon's uh, resignation in August. Uh, the, the, Trump will not back out. But I, I tell the story repeatedly of my father. When, I, when I'm trying to get my arms around how are they staying with Donald Trump, I remember my own dad staying with Nixon until the very end and then yeah. reading the transcripts of the tapes and saying that guy is unworthy to be president. You look at these numbers. I mean, uh, 64% of Americans saying uh, they're not. Three reasons why minimalist phone helps you spend less time on your smartphone. Number one, no icons. Colorful no icons in your homes. Uh, they're not going to support Trump. His approval rating at 33%. 54% saying he threatened democracy itself. 18% uh, saying maybe he strengthened it. Uh, his unfavorable views exploding in, uh, you know, continuing to go up. Uh, and, and then you look at these actions, uh, classified documents. Majority say what he did was illegal. Uh, and uh, Georgia election interference, 51% say it was illegal. 13% say unethical. Only 15%, only 15% of Americans, let's underline this, agree with Donald Trump that he did nothing wrong. Only 15% of Americans agree with Donald Trump that he did nothing wrong in the classified documents case. Only 14% of Americans say he did nothing wrong in the hush money case. Of course, that is by far, for good reason, the weakest case. But these numbers, it sure seems like they're moving in one direction. And Charlie, the bad news for him is the more people find out about these cases, the worse news it is for Donald Trump. Yeah, they ought to be a stunning reality check. Now we'll find out whether the Republican Party continues to be immune to reality. Um, this ought to be the moment, by the way, though, that we uh, the it, it, ought, it ought to mark the end of all the magical thinking among Republicans that, you know, something, 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 unicorn was going to come along and take care of uh, Donald Trump, that they didn't have to do it, that, that somebody else would take care of the problem. You know, that, 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 that sense that they could amplify and rationalize and defend him um, and somehow run against him for president. Look, this is with this moment where um, we have all of the major indictments have come down, and yet Republican voters continue to rally around him. So there is the challenge. What what does Mike Pence do? What does Ron DeSantis do? What does Glenn Youngkin do? Um, are, are they going to continue to go along with this sort of, you know, same old, same old conventional wisdom? We have to humor him. Remember that quote uh, right after the election? What harm would it be to, to simply humor him? Um, we'll continue to uh, echo his comments about the weaponization of the justice system. But as you're pointing out, there are these giant reality checks out there Jeez. saying, Republicans, do you know what you are about to do? You know, we keep talking about these focus groups of Trump voters and what people are saying in diners in West Virginia. Take a step back and you realize you have more than 60 percent of Americans who say, no, we are done with Donald Trump. We're not going to vote for Donald Trump. That ought to be the really the, the ultimate reality check for Republican voters and leaders right now. Well, we, we were joking yesterday about Chuck Rosenberg, uh, about how Mika wanted to talk to me about like somebody was saying on another cable news channel. And it, thought like, it was important like, to know what other people are saying and hearing and at, ingesting. Eight at night, and I was I was listening to, to some music to kind right. of well. forget about uh, the day, uh, the, the news day. 
And I, I, I said, we don't, we don't need to hear what they say. It doesn't matter what they say. What matters is what goes on in the courtrooms. And we all know where this is going. And you look at these, you look at these poll numbers. We all know where this is going. And I think the question, Mika, is how long does Tim Scott, uh, again, somebody that I've said is a very strong candidate, how long does Tim Scott humiliate himself by pretending that Donald Trump did nothing wrong? How long does he humiliate himself by talking about Hunter Biden taking $7 million, saying nothing about Jared Kushner's $3 billion, only 1% of that, as Steve Ratner told us, coming from the United States, and the rest coming from people he worked with in the Gulf. Like, how long are they going to paint these false equivalences? I'm not saying Jared did anything illegal. But if you're going to say Donald Trump sold nuclear secrets and Hunter Biden making $7 million from three different mm-hmm. countries, and it's just seven, from three different countries, and you're going to create this false narrative. I keep trying to say it, and I wish somebody would listen to me in the Republican Party other than Chris Christie. (laughs) This ends badly. This ends badly. (laughs) You look terrible defending this guy who tried to steal an election and undermine democracy for the rest of your life. Well, more importantly, you look weak. They look weak. They and you want to weak. elect a leader that can stand dollar. strong in the face of whatever comes his or her way. Right. And if something is wrong, a leader will say, that's wrong. That's not That's not what our Constitution says. Right. That's not what a democracy is about. That's not the president I will be. Where is that? And, and if, as Jonathan O'Meara pointed out, a majority of Americans say Donald Trump threatened the very existence of democracy itself. Only 18% said he strengthened it. Like, so I agree. You know, we can go to diners wherever we want to go to, and every American's voice is valid. Every vote uh, should count the same. But this, I think the media needs to just wake up and stop obsessing yeah, on luck. the people. Corporate who media make a monopoly, wake up! Who say the craziest things to get four, all four corporations. more views, more hits, more whatever? Need to wake up. Say hello to our nutritious range of grains, which contains iron, calcium, and vitamin D. Plus, there's no and added sugar or salt, and it's nutritionally tailored for little tummies. Try the Maluka range now. Ireland's number one baby suit. Suck it, lady. Who say the craziest things to get more views, more hits, more whatever. Because the reality is, I mean, what matters, as Chuck said, is what happens in the courtroom. Not the crazy stuff you're, you're reading on, on social media. Are that you're, you're, you're on are that you're watching on television on another network? Mm-hmm. Are that your crazy uncle sends to you something that he thought about while he was on the toilet, and you give that as much credence as you do news stories that come out of the Wall Street Journal with hundreds and hundreds of journalists, with with, with dozens and dozens of editors, with the understanding that if they don't get it right they're in big trouble, right? Yeah. So so you, you can do all that if you want. You're wasting your time because right now it's what matters inside the jury box. And politically, Mika, 
you look at these numbers, you see what independents are doing. And let me say again, Republicans, this doesn't get better. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> the Democrats want cameras in the courtroom. Democrats want transparency. Democrats want this trial before the election. If you're innocent, that's the problem. What are you saying? You said, I want, yeah, I want cameras in the courtroom. Right. right. Yeah, get this. I'm innocent. Give us time to get ready. And you're damn right. I want this before the election because I want my name cleared. What does Donald Trump and his Republican supporters do? They say, oh, no, 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 no cameras in the courtroom. No, no, we don't want no transparency. We don't, pe we, we, we don't want people to actually see what he did. And yet, let's push it off after the election. After the election. We don't want the jury. We don't have the jury to have a say before the election. Let me tell you, that's, that's somebody who's guilty. Because if you're accused of doing something you didn't do, you want transparency if, if you've been charged. You want that trial as soon as possible. You want it on TV for all the world to see. They don't. And also, politically, Mika, again, what matters is the jury box. But politically, look at where the independents are going here. The independents tell the tell for Republicans. So Fox News poll shows the majority of voters think Donald Trump broke the law in his efforts to stay in power following the 2020 election. In the survey, 53% say his actions after the vote were illegal. Wow. That includes 62% of independents who believe he broke the law. I'll go on to a new Quinnipiac poll conducted after Jack Smith's federal indictment of Trump this month, but before the Georgia, the Fulton County indictment, showing... 54% of Americans think the former president should be prosecuted on federal criminal charges relating to his attempt to overturn the 2020 election. So here those independent numbers make it 62% wow. of independents believe Donald Trump, what he did was illegal. 62%, only 22%, only that, the wrong one. There we go, only 22%. I'm 
It's fresh. He's toast. Toast. Exciting. That's so exciting to me. He's toast. Toast. Exciting. So exciting to me. great news. Oops, let's go to um, subscriptions. Oh, it's live right now. Pathetic losers. Trump gets more desperate and Michael Cohen told you so. This 40 euros device created by an Irish engineer cleans any bathroom in less hey man, than five no minutes. Ads. It's an Takapina representing Donald Trump. In okay, the pull up. Welcome to Political hey, Beatdown Brigade. Tell them disqualify now. Exclamation point. Jail now. Peter and Brigade. Beatdown Brigade. And my Tismiety Beatdown Brigade And my Tismiety Who's this? Is this my little Please call DOJ 202-514-2000 Disqualify I'm Ben Mycellus, joined by so Michael hell. Cohen, who is interrupting his vacation. Not interrupting <laughs> at all, actually. Cohen wants to spend the time with the beatdown brigaders. Probably one of the only times in a very long while that Cohen's actually been able to take a vacation. But fortunately, we've got him for this hour, and we have a lot to discuss after the fallout is being felt, felt in MAGA Republican world, after the historic indictment, number four or number five, if you count the superseding indictment, I'll say five, the fifth indictment, because I'll count the superseding indictment in Fulton County, Georgia, by Fulton County Grand Jury out there, brought Take by Fulton away. County District Attorney Fawny Willis. We're seeing how... Those in Trump's co-defendants, the unindicted co-conspirators, how they're all reacting. Pathetic look, beautiful look. His vacation, not interrupting <laughs> at all, actually. Cohen, political beatdown. I'm Ben Mycellus, joined by Michael Cohen, who is interrupting his vacation not interrupting at all actually cohen wants to spend the time with the beatdown 
Brigaders, probably one of the only times in a very long while that Cohen's actually been able to take a vacation. But fortunately, <laughs> we've got him for this hour, and we have... From office said, um, call DOJ 202-514-2000, jail now for Benedict Diaper Donalds. For Benedict... Who? Clown. Who clown? The shit clown. Last clown. Don't forget. And don't forget. Lock up and remove from office 160 plus. GOP traders now. Trista for Perez. Trump for prison. Suspend the Republican Party. A lot to discuss <clears throat> after the fallout is being felt, felt in MAGA Republican world after the historic indictment. Number four or number five, if you count the superseding indictment, I'll say five. The fifth indictment, because I'll count the superseding indictment. I'm in the only presidential candidate calling Georgia for. I'm the only presidential candidate calling for uh, suspension of the Republican Party now. Welcome to Political Beatdown. <laughs> I'm Ben Mycellus, joined by Michael Cohen, who is interrupting his vacation. Not interrupting <laughs> at all, actually. Cohen wants to spend the time with the beatdown. Brigaders, probably one of the only times in a very long while that Cohen's actually been able to take a vacation. But fortunately, <laughs> we've got him for this hour, and we have a lot to discuss after the fallout is being felt, felt in MAGA Republican world after the historic indictment. Number four or number five, if you count the superseding indictment, I'll say five, the fifth indictment, because I'll count the superseding indictment, in Fulton County, Georgia, by Fulton County Grand Jury out there, brought by Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis. We're seeing how those in Trump's inner circle, his co-defendants, the unindicted co-conspirators, how they're all reacting, or should I say begging for money that they have not been paid. Cohen warned you. Cohen I did. Told you so, I warned you. Listen, I warned Cohen, you. So how are you doing? You know, I feel I, I wish that you now when I I'm looking forward to when I get back to New York that I'll be walking, you know, the streets there by Madison Avenue, going to the local restaurants, and I'm gonna bump in to Rudy Kaludi. And I can just say to him, I warned you, son. I warned you. And not only did I warn him, I warned Mark Meadows and Jim Bag Jordan. 
I warned them all. I warned them all that look at what's happening to me. Let me be very clear. All right, all of this bullshit of Donald Trump making these claims, or I should say the media making these claims that Donald is, you know, so close to Rudy and to Jim Bag Jordan and to Mark Meadows. And so none of it is true. Remember, he didn't know them from Adam until he ended up not just in the White House, but years later, like two plus to three years later, when they all started coming out to defend him. They don't understand him at all. They don't understand the true Donald and what they are learning as Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani, is learning as he's on his hands and knees. Oh, oh, Donald, Donald, please save me. We're listening I to... need money. I need money. Donald's not going to give Don't him a fucking penny. You may have seen that song. Live right now. Coming at your ass. Remember, I'm six hours ahead of you. I'm in France right now. So <laughs> trust me when I tell you. I'm watching television and saying to myself, oh, my God, how pathetic of Rudy Colludi Giuliani, a guy who is considered America's mayor. Hey, <laughs> read, it, read that book for me so I don't have to start <laughs> laughing. Read that one off, because as I turn around and said, Rudy has a better chance of getting the money for his defense from his ex-wives, <laughs> and rest assured, they all despise him, right, than he has them getting from Donald. Because what Donald's going to do is come out and say, Rudy, Rudy, I would love, I would love to give it to you. But I can't. I can't. And, and my pack can't. I, they can't because it could be considered witness tampering or obstruction of justice. And that's what's going to happen. And I just can't do it. And it, it, <laughs> trust me when I tell you, the only time you will get money out of Donald, you have to do what I did. You need to sue him. But you need to invest four years and a lot of time in order to get that money. Uh, they, should, they should have listened, but if you go through the political action committee forms and you see the lawyers that Donald Trump is paying, right? Alina Haba's firm in six months got close to one and a half million dollars. Uh, that banal law firm, the firm that filed the case to reopen the case that Alina Haba and Trump were sanctioned, uh, about a million dollars for that banal law firm. Uh, they got uh, about a million too. So Joe Takapina representing Donald Trump That's in the case brought penis. by Eugene Carroll, where Takapina and Trump obviously Taki, lost. And a jury awarded uh, $5 million dollars, uh, finding that Donald Trump engaged in a sexual assault. Takapina was paid almost $2 million. So if you look what Trump did here, right, he basically had the Giuliani's, the Sidney Powell's, the Eastman's, the Chesbro's, now his co-defendants, right? They went out there and spewed the lies. Then Trump fundraised off those lies enough money to cover the criminal defense for his criminality and then spent the money that he defrauded people using that group as his pawn. 
never paid them, then took the money that he defrauded uh, his supporters for for his own criminal defense. Sounds like a sounds like a Trump Ponzi, Steve Cohen. Sounds like another yeah. Ponzi if I've ever seen one. Look, Ben, let me be very clear. The only case that Taco Penis should be representing Trump on is the case of the missing pillow case at mar a -Lardo. That's about it, all right? Because that's about all that he's confident in order to handle. I want each and every one of these idiots. Look at what happened to me, all right? And I was with the man for over a decade. You're all a bunch of newbies. He doesn't give a shit about any one of you. He doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And he will use each and every one of these individuals as a stepping stone to get himself out of the high waters while he sticks your head under. You know, it, that's just who he is. And the fact that they have not listened, and the fact that as many times as I have said it, and I will continue to say it, they refuse to listen until it's too late. And you know what? Now it's too late. What makes this whole thing with Georgia so interesting is unlike everyone else, unlike New York with Alvin Bragg, unlike D.C. with Jack Smith, Bonnie Willis, you got to give her a real, real pat on the back over here. She doesn't give a shit about Donald Trump. She, They don't give a shit that he was the former president of the United States. They're going to bring him into this Georgia County jail where he will be fingerprinted and mugshotted, from what I understand. They're going to take his height and his weight in order to put him up on the thing. There's a big thing going on right now in terms of how tall is he really and how much does he weigh, right? And I'll give you my prediction, then I want yours, Ben. But he's six, I would say he's just under six, too. I sit between six one and a half and six two, but he's at least at least a good three hundred. You know, he's top of the scales at about three three oh five somewhere in that ballpark. You know, he posted a message earlier today that must be on his mind as well, and he was going. Did you see this deranged message he posted going after Fox and friends? I mean, take a look at this post that he made. Going, he goes, "Why doesn't Fox and friends?" show all of the polls where I am beating Biden by a lot. They just won't do it. Also, they purposefully show the absolutely worst pictures of me, especially the big orange one with my chin pulled way back. They think they are getting away with something. They're not. Just like 2016 all over again. And then they want me to debate. There's a lot to unpack here. Keep, keep, put, it, put it back on. There's a yeah. lot. To yeah, let's, let's, take this, let's take this apart. First of all, Donald truly believes that Fox and Friends owes him a lot. He believes that every dollar that Fox News Corp made during the 2016 and then the 2020 elections was simply because of him. All right? Second, you then get to the polls, where he claims that he's beaten, beating Biden by a lot. Well, we all know that that's not true, all right? Even your dogs know that's not true, hence why they're barking and going crazy, all right? He is not beating Biden by a lot. He's not beating Biden at all. There are a few select polls that turn around and 
look, I, as you know, and I turned around and I said, says who? Says who? I, it turned out I was correct. Because what these pollsters are doing is they'll get, like, a large poll. It's like six, seven hundred people. But they already know the outcome of the poll before it starts because they know who they're calling. When was the last time, Ben, that you got onto a phone call with somebody who needs 10 to 15 minutes of your time asking you questions about Donald Trump, Joe Biden, or anybody else? And the answer is never. As soon as you pick up the phone and they say, hi, we're calling from so-and-so polling service, I'll click, right, have a nice day, and take me off your stupid call list. But they already know in advance, who did you vote for in the last election? How many elections before that have you voted? Did you vote up and down the line, whether it's all Republican, all Democrat, independent? Have you gone back and forth? They know everything. So they can tell you almost with 100% certainty what the outcome of the poll is going to be. The reason that so many politicians use it is that they can then justify the allegations that they make. Like a Donald Trump saying, I'm beating Biden by a lot. That's just some random poll that's put out by probably Newsmax or OAN or one of their book shoot super PACs. So let's go just back to it for one second more because there's so much more into this rant by Donald. They just won't do it. They won't do what? They won't sit there and turn around and kiss your ass anymore? So the answer is no. And then they purposely show the absolutely worst pictures of me, especially the big orange one with my chin pulled way back. That's because you're fat. Period. End of story. And the orange-crusted Mandarin Mussolini that you are, all right, unless you're taking a photograph that's being photoshopped or edited, Right? Like the ones of you as a superhero, the ones of you in a, you know, in, in a cowboy outfit or as an astronaut. That's not who you are. That's not what you look like. And the fact that you refuse to acknowledge what you truly look like, well, that's on you. That's not on Fox. They took a photo of you. You don't like it. Okay, they're not going to use your headshot from The Apprentice, which, by the way, was taken over 12 years ago, just to give you a little bit of a time frame. When you go through, though, some of the actual polling data out there, it is very, it paints a devastating picture for Trump and Republicans. I don't want people to get complacent, but where Donald Trump cites, you mentioned, is it Newsmax that he's citing? No, Donald Trump typically cites, and I, I kid you not, this is not a joke, what I'm about to say. Who the Republicans cite for a lot of their polling data is something that goes by the name of Pat Turd. One of the big Republican leaders today is a emoji of a cat turd. And this is who Donald Trump reposts and amplifies, you know, who will get second place in the Republican primary. He's reposting cat turd polls. Here's another photo. Don Jr. did a uh, interview with the turd himself, uh, with the cat turd. There it is, right there. Looking forward to being on Don Jr.'s podcast. And the turd does the interview as the cat turd, as a cat, and says horrific, disgusting things. This is who the Republican Party has become, and that's why, you know, when I give interviews, I go, I go, I go, look, I go, please. Do not call these people 
the cat turd group. Do not call them conservative. You can call them the C word cat turd, but do well, not ben, call ben, them. Well, Ben, we got we got the brigaders. They got the turds. I mean, it's perfect. I, I mean, think about it. It's what I want everyone to do now, just as a as an example of just how ridiculous shit like this is, like cat turd and some of these pollsters. Just imagine here a political beatdown. All right, with our brigaders, we turn around and we say, who should win in 2024? Joe Biden, smash, smash a heart. Donald Trump, smash a, you know, smash a uh, thumbs down. And where do you think the numbers are going to end up, right? Where, where do you think that they're going to end up? I would say majoritively we'll turn around and show that the overwhelming number of brigaders want to see Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And that's why I say that these polls are so ridiculous. They're such a waste of time. You know, with, like, like with you, Ben, I have a lot of followers on my Twitter and my TikTok and my Instagram and so on. If I use that as the formula and I put out a poll and ask people to do it, you have a better chance of getting a more accurate response and result than you do by going to one of these you know, um, well-known pollsters. You know, what if uh, President Biden posted, uh, hey, I've got a, the polls are showing that uh, puppy poopy, a dog poopy, says that I am uh, 67%. <laughs> I mean, look, we laugh about it, but, you know, it's beyond parody, and this is who the Republican Party is. you got... Puppy, the puppy poopy poll says you got 65%. The cat turd poll, no, I mean, President Biden's out there talking about, I want to protect Social Security. I'm looking to fight for veterans. I want to make sure women can control their own body. I want better working conditions, lower prescription drug prices, actually implementing infrastructure projects. And Donald Trump's out there posting cat duty polls and saying, why is it? That Fox, even if you just start with, why is it that Fox, you focus on the American people, focus on actual issues, and then it just gets more deranged and deranged from there, but speaking of Donald Trump's deranged post, you know, he had posted right after the Fulton County District Attorney um, secured the indictment from the Fulton County Grand Jury, that next week, Cohen, that Donald Trump was going to hold a press conference. He's going to hold it at Bedminster. And he was going to reveal in this press conference that he actually won the 2020 election. That's what he said. He's going to. I don't care what he says. I just want to know what Cat Turd says. <laughs> what, what, what is, what is, uh, what is Ferret Feces? Ferret Feces? Yeah. Can we hear from Ferret Feces? <laughs> by, by the way, before, before you can go on to that one, you know. It's not just Donald who says the stupidest things that's out there. Salty, well, we're going to get to that with Rudy Paludi, with his absolute drunken rant and so on. But none better, none better than the ass-kissing daughter-in-law who he despised for years. And he tells the story himself. You know, a lot of people turn around and say, you know, Mike, that's not really fair. You shouldn't be saying these sort of stories. Right, even if they're true, which by the way they are, because they're always sort of like not nice and they're somewhat demeaning to like Laura Trump when you say that you know the um, in-laws, meaning like Don Jr. or um, you know Ivanka, uh, and so on, would turn around and say that she is like a horse face. Okay, that's 
that's, I, you're right, maybe I shouldn't say it. However, that's the one who actually went up on stage and told the story of how he didn't even know who she was and didn't like her and didn't care for her. That that's not who he wanted his son Eric to marry. And the person who did it was Donald in front of an entire room of people that she was that she was there, that she was one of the co-hosts for. And then it was it was really amazing. But then he says, then I go on television and I see this girl talking about it. And I say, Who is that? And they said, Mr. Trump, that's your daughter in law, Lara. That's the one that's married to Eric. And he goes, oh, she's great. And then it is, it's been a love affair ever since. Well, first of all, I'm not so sure you should be talking about your daughter-in-law is a love affair, like it's your love affair with Kim Jong-un. But that's when he decided that he liked Laura, is when she came out. And again, I'm not telling this story to be mean, even though I find it funny because it is demeaning. I'm yeah. saying it because he said it. I'm just repeating stupidity of Donald. And she sits there smiling and laughing with her blown up, you know, lip-injected lips and shit. And as if it's funny, I would be personally insulted, not her, because Donald is talking about her. And he would sit and bitch and complain that she uses the Trump name more than Sophie. If you have the clip, listening to her speak on... This will show you the level of insanity that is now permeating the entire family, including the non-DNA family. I want to show the clip, because people are going to say, what in the Kim Jong-un is going on here? And I want to show her, I want to show Kimberly Guilfoyle clip, and I got a few others I want to show, but first I want to take our first quick break. I have a big family, and that means there's usually a lot of trash left over by the time the work week comes to an end. And frankly, I used to feel a bit guilty about this, but then I got a Lomi. Now that I have a Lomi, it's changed the way I think about my food waste. First off, Lomi transforms my garbage into gold at the push of a button. Lomi's a countertop electric composter that turns food scraps to dirt in just under four hours. Now, I love composting, plus it's made cooking at home even more fun. There's no more food rotting in my garbage me. and smelling up the kitchen. Thanks to Lomi, I only have to take out the you trash once a week. Dude. And it's a hassle-free, mess-free experience. No, no more leaks. I learned that I'm food waste makes up bend. a few and fast, reliable shipping. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow uh, plant shrub and... They weaponized the Justice Department, not because I'm saying it, because factually it's accurate. You can read 15% off your entire order. Right. Get 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com slash political. Trump right here, 
And this was her defense of the adults following the Fulton County District Tristan for press. Trump for prison. Now, so I said, seize Trump's ill-gotten assets. Trusted for president for prison. Disqualify them now and suspend the Republican Party. Lock them all up for insurrection now. And now all of a sudden she's so proud of herself that she's on television spewing this. She's right. There is nothing funny about the weaponization of the Justice Department by an individual to go after another individual because he is a political opponent, a political critic, and so on. But she's not talking about Donald Trump. In fact, she's talking about me. Her father-in-law, through Bill Barr, that bloviated piece of shit that he is, went ahead, they... They weaponized the Justice Department, not because I'm saying it, because factually it's accurate. You can read it. You can see what happened there. Mark, LOL. <laughs> Christopher Press, Trump for prison. Ask, what about the... Ask. Brigader, call DOJ 202-514-2000. Ask. 
What about the 160 GOP traitors? They had me go down to 500 Pearl Street, the federal court, where they had me sit in a waiting area until they got documents signed to remand me back to Otisville because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. And again, it's not me saying it. You know who said it then? Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein, the judge that then turned around after another 15 days of RICO charges. RICO charges 19 defendants altogether. Kind of weigh in on what that's going to look like for Fannie Willis. Fannie uh, well, Willis. Well, it's a disaster and it's a sham. She's really using this for her own political purposes and advancements and fundraising off of this. She's one of four sham what a uh, negative, you know, investigations toxic and indictments. Bitch. They, you know, jump the shark and release 
on the docket. Just, uh, never mind. Actually, the that she had to do the dog and pony show, you know, last night. It's just absolutely ridiculous. And John Gotti, okay, can you imagine Rico, okay, violation? John Gotti never even had four indictments at once. Mm -hmm. There's no yeah. mob box, let alone they do this to President Trump. Doesn't that show you how terrible criminal he is? Okay. And they want to go ahead and use this lawfare, weaponize the system against Joe Biden's primary political opponent. That's what this is. Um, you talk about collusion with all these different people putting these indictments forward at the same time before this election. I get your reaction, but before doing that, you know, like, there's something. We're listening to Politicalpitan live right now. We were. Till this ad came up. Thanks for 229k, by the way. I know I've done my phone. Is HelloFresh worth the price? Hello Absolutely. Fresh worth the price. I just love the idea Absolutely. of having money. Before as well, with all the cases that are. Okay, I'm going to pull up control their own bodies. I want better working conditions, lower prescription drug prices, actually implementing infrastructure projects, and Donald Trump's out there posting cat duty polls and saying, <laughs> why is it that Fox, even if you just start with, why is it that Fox, dude, focus on the American people, focus on actual issues, and then it just gets more deranged and deranged from there, but Speaking of Donald Trump's deranged post, you know, he had posted right after the Fulton County District Attorney um, secured the indictment from the Fulton County Grand Jury that next week, Cohen, that Donald Trump was going to hold a press conference. He's going to hold it at Bedminster. And he was going to reveal in this press conference that he actually won the 2020 election. That's what yeah. he said. He's going to. I don't
who actually went up on stage and told the story of how he didn't even know who she was and didn't like her and didn't care for her. That that's not who he wanted his son Eric to marry. And the person who did it was Donald in front of an entire room of people that she was that she was there, that she was one of the co-hosts for. And then it was it was really made but then he says, then I go on television and I see this girl talking about her. And I said, Who is that? And they said, Mr. Trump, that's your daughter. didn't even recognize his own daughter, Laura Trump. Benedict Diaper Donald. Maples. Insulted. Not her. That Donald is talking about her. He would sit and bitch and complain that she uses the Trump name. More insulting. If you have the clip, listening to her speak on Fox News, I think it was to Hannity or to Newsmax or something like that. This will show you the level of insanity that is now permeating the entire family, including the non-DNA family. I want to show the clip because people are going to say, what in the Kim Jong-un is going on here? And I want to show her. I want to show Kimberly Guilfoyle quick. And I got a few others I want to show. But first, I want to take our first quick I have a big family, and no, that means there's you. usually a lot of trash left. blow me. convention, right? Trump, Trump, Trump's kids, girlfriend, Trump kids, fiance. Like, that's not a, that's not Here, breed some life into your own backyard with oh fastgrowingtrees.com this spring. Shit. From shade to fresh fruit to privacy and natural beauty, let uh. fast growing... I mean, we were talking about Donald Trump's... <laughs> I mean, because one of the things that I was thinking, you know, if you look at who the surrogates... Even you go back to the Republican National Convention, right? Trump, Trump, Trump's kids, girlfriend, Trump kids, fiance. Like, that's not a, that's not the way American politics are supposed to be. And so you had uh, Laura Trump, you had Kimberly Guilfoyle. I want to get your reactions to their responses. They were the main surrogates. Uh, they were the main surrogates doing the rounds. This is Laura Trump right here, and this was her. Of the of Donald Trump following the Fulton County District Attorney. Let's look. Played of Hillary Clinton. Wow. Let's 
led into that uh, interview with Rachel Maddow, by the way, laughing. She was laughing about this last night. Let me tell you something. There is nothing funny about this. There's nothing funny about the erosion of our American values, about the erosion of our Constitution, about the weaponization of our systems, it, it, like third world countries do against political opponents. Nothing funny, Sean. Huh. Yeah, I mean, what is there to possibly say other than Laura Trump, along with Eric Trump, are the two stupidest people that I've ever met in <laughs> almost my entire life. Now, they follow onto the talking points, and now all of a sudden she's so proud of herself that she's on television spewing this. She's right. There is nothing funny about the weaponization of the Justice Department by an individual to go after another individual because he is a political opponent, a political critic, and so on. But she's not talking about Donald Trump. In fact, she's talking about me. Her father-in-law, through Bill Barr, that bloviated piece of shit that he is, <laughs> went ahead, they, they weaponized the Justice Department, not because I'm saying it, because Actually, it's accurate. You can read it. You can see what happened there. They had me go down to 500 Pearl Street, the federal court, where they had me sit in a waiting area until they got documents signed to remand me back to Otisville because I refused to waive my First Amendment constitutional right. And again, it's not me saying it. You know who said it then? Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein, the judge that then turned around after another 15 days of solace, I should say, yeah, 16 days of solitary confinement, bringing it up to 51 days. Alvin K. Hellerstein, the judge, the federal court judge said it, that it was retaliatory because I wouldn't waive my First Amendment rights. So she's right. It is the erosion of our democracy. It's shit that you see happening in third world countries, not America, but it ain't happening to Donald. It's not. All right. And this is the problem. What they're doing is they're trying to deflect. Donald broke certain laws, plain and simple. And those and those allegations, because everybody is presumed innocent, right, until proven guilty. Donald is right now innocent, and he has the right to claim a not guilty verdict, which I'm sure he will do in the fourth indictment now coming up in Georgia. But Laura does not have the right to sit there and claim that this is the misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation that they are all so damn good at. And that's claiming that the Biden administration is doing it to Donald. And that's the part that's not true. And the fact that she continuously goes on any show that'll have her stupid ass and <laughs> the same surgicated garbage, all right, that's the part that makes her into an idiot. Now, I understand you want to defend your family. I get it, right? You want to defend and protect your family. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to defend your family above that of the Constitution and try to lie to the American people for what? So that you get a reservation in a, uh, in a restaurant that nobody wants you at anyway? Ah, come on, Laura. Laura. Speaking of people <laughs> who want reservations in places that nobody wants them anyway, Kimberly Gilfoyle also Gargoyle. wants to be one of the <laughs> surrogates. I want to show you this is 
the interview that she was on as well. It was equally humiliating. Watch her make a fool out of herself to play that Rico charges. Rico charges 19 defendants all together. Judy, come weigh in on what happened during the book for Fanny Willis. Did she say jump the sharks? Jump the shark. Short. I get your reaction, but before doing that, you know, like, there's some, like, kind of corporate speech that's just like a bunch of gibberish, right? And there's, like, what we need to do is the interconnectivity with the synergistic, <laughs> it's like, okay, Jump can you shark. tell me what's going on? What the MAGA Republicans do over and over and over again, in contrast to what we do here, whereas we talk about, here's the data, here's the facts, here's the audio recording, here's the document, here's the post. This is what they said, and now here is our oh, opinion. If you notice, all they do is they go up there and they just say a bunch of what I like to call uh, fascist Furby talk. You know, like those Furby toys from Best of the Day. Okay, what are they saying? That's kind of what it is. It's like this is lawfare. Jump the shark. John Gotti. Hillary Clinton. It's like okay, could you just explain to me? If you think that there's a, a defense here, well, why don't you go about and just state it in, in plain text? And they don't because it's a bunch of garbage, it's a bunch of BS, and, you know, just just watch it. What even is it? What, what, what were we even watching? Yeah, what we're watching, again, is Kimberly Gargoyle getting up there and playing to a party of one. That's the only thing that she's doing right there. And of course, what better home to do it at than Newsmax, the only place where the That's person who is interviewing this moron and a half, Kimberly Gargoyle, it's the only place that they will turn around, shake their head, nod, and not question. Wait, 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 wait. What are you basing that on? Okay, wait. So the former president is now.
heartbreak. <laughs> Just a for prez, chump for prison. How pathetically sad it is that that Laura Trump's father don't even recognize her. Don't like her. And don't like her either. So sad. under his fourth indictment, what does that have to do with John Gotti? So let me explain something to you. It's called the term RICO, the Racketeering Influence Corruption uh, Organization Act. And nobody, of course, knows that better than Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, because he's kind of the one who created it to go after organized crime. But what it's, what it's designed and the way that it was designed is when you... When you have two or more people that are joining together in order to commit a crime, then they could bring them all together. Well, here it's not just Donald and another guy or two other guys and three other or four and, you know, five, you know, other women, you know, or six other people. You know, you've got 18 other individuals who are all conspiring to commit the crime of electoral fraud. Plain and simple. Now, I'm sorry that Kimberly Gargoyle isn't happy with the fact that they are now indicting, whether I don't know if she and Don Jr. are even together anymore, but again, she needs her fill of some airtime, and obviously Fox News won't have them on anymore, because they challenge, there are several Fox News hosts today that are challenging these sycophantic, you know, regurgitators, um, and they're unhappy about that. They want to be able to skew the lies and the misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation at will without any recourse whatsoever, other than accepting what it is that they're saying, despite the fact, and you just brought it up, it is factually inaccurate and it's predicated on nothing other than a talking point created by another Trump insider working on the campaign. That's it. So they're unhappy about that. Kimberly Gargoyle is another moron that is going to sit there and you know, make an absolute fool of herself and humiliate herself on television, even though she doesn't think that she is, because she's speaking to Trump supporters, even they know that what it is that she's saying is factually inaccurate and it's not predicated on any base of fact. You know, and some of these Fox reporters who are 
lightly, we'll say, lightly challenging the lies and disinformation, or at least asking a legitimate question that all of a sudden then people like Alina Haba, who were there on the show, they're like, but I thought you used to love Donald Trump. That's right. what she said to Ducey. But Ducey Perfect response. Very basic uh, question. They're not doing it, though, out of the goodness of their heart. They didn't just have a revelation. They got sued and had to settle for nearly a billion dollars as a corporation for engaging in defamatory on precisely these issues. And they've got the other lawsuit that's still pending against them, seeking about $2 billion from Smartmatic. And so there's a lot of litigation that has that is changing their behaviors in, a, in small ways. But I said small ways because he's still... Like Rudy, you know, Rudy Giuliani stuck in that lawsuit too, which is incredible considering the guy can't afford to pay you know, his legal fees, and he's on, like we were talking about at the very beginning, he's on his hands and knees begging to Donald. I don't know if, that, if we have that clip. I just think it's a clip that goes along with the Lara Trump clip, the Kimberly Gargoyle clip. Um, Salty, if you have it, let's throw it up there, uh, you know, for the Brigaders. What the hell is wrong with you? Rudy Giuliani is hopping mad over his indictment. Racketeering. What the hell do you know about racketeering? He railed against Georgia's Fulton County DA, Bonnie Willis, in a rambling tirade. I am the dictator. There was no fraud. What kind of lawyer are you? What kind of person are you? He faces what could be a long and expensive court battle. Trouble is, Giuliani is reportedly broke. It's running out of money. I mean, see, I, I, I don't know what I'm running out. I think it might be out. He's so strapped for cash, he's been forced to sell his home. Giuliani's apartment in this landmark building on Manhattan's Upper East Side was listed for sale two weeks ago. The three-bedroom spread is described in the listing as splendid, and the price sure is $6.5 million. Plus, there's a $10,000 monthly maintenance fee. Despite all the work Giuliani did for Trump back in 2020, he allegedly got stiff. It was Trump who didn't want Giuliani paid unless Giuliani delivered on his promises, and obviously that didn't happen. Trump and his 18 co-defendants have until noon next Friday to turn themselves in to the Fulton County Jail. Once inside, defendants are typically fingerprinted, then a mugshot is taken. The sheriff says the jail is open 24-7, and they are welcome anytime. <laughs> I mean, first of all, let me let me say this as well. Um, the necessity of selling that apartment is not predicated solely on the issue that Kaludi has right now uh, in terms of paying his legal fees. All right? It's not. He also has outstanding money that's due to his um, latest ex-wife. Um, she's owed quite a substantial amount of money, and I believe uh, that you know this is more of a forced sale uh, in order to deal with the um, you know obligations that he has in the divorce decree than it had to do with you know, needing the money for this litigation, but just the notion of Rudy showing up, right, begging Donald for money in order to cover legal fees, and in, I already know what's running through Donald's head, which is, 
I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give him a dollar, not a single dollar. And I'm gonna again use the, you know, the bullshit that if I do that, you know, Bonnie Willis, uh, the media, others will turn around and say that I'm obstructing justice, I'm witness tampering because here I am paying for one of the co-defendants' legal fees. Um, that's the argument that I see Donald trying to make. And again, he's really not a fan of Rudy's. He was a fan of Rudy's when Rudy was doing his bidding and that Rudy was out there for free representing him uh, and so on. But there's never been this sort of romance over the years uh, that existed, you know, prior to um, you know, say 2017, uh, 2018, when, you know, things started happening and Rudy came into work, which again, just so you understand, Rudy didn't do it out of the goodness of his heart. He did it in order to demonstrate access to the White House, which he was selling. And one of the things I note in the clip that we just played is how you talked about it earlier in the show, how Trump has to turn himself in. Um, uh, and he's trying right now, in fact, to negotiate with Fulton County District Attorney Bonnie Willis and the District Attorney's Office and the Sheriff's Office about what that looks like. And uh, the Fulton County Sheriff's Department and District Attorney Bonnie Willis are like, yeah, you're going to be treated like everybody else. Like there's, there's nothing to negotiate. There's, there's nothing to negotiate. You're going to show up. You're going to get booked. You're going to get fingerprinted. You're going to show up where everybody else shows up at, and you're going to surrender yourself. You don't get any special favors. And so what will be interesting to see is, like, it's not like there is a deal to be made. And so as you get closer to the surrender date um, next week, what does that look like? And by the way, did you catch the uh, motion that was filed by Fulton County District Attorney for a trial setting? Um, requesting a trial date in March of 2024, March 5th to be exact. So right where that would be slotted in would be right before the Manhattan District Attorney case, where you're a witness in that case, and that case is March 24th or 25th of 2024, jury selection taking place shortly before then, but right around then as well. So her trial would go first. Then you would have Manhattan District Attorney, and then before that, depending on what the judge does in Washington, D.C. federal court, Special Counsel Jack Smith's asking for that case for Donald Trump's crimes relating to the 2020 election go in January, January, uh, first week of January in 2024. And so because also of all of the chicanery and uh, the legal quagmires created by Judge Eileen Cannon. Mm-hmm. Judge Eileen Cannon, who's obviously making these maneuvers, put the point to judge, trying to help him out, it looks like. She's now at the end of the line. So it would yeah. be trial, 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 trial. And then Cannon goes last. And by the way, she's made such horrible rulings recently, too. I expect a mess before the 1134. So, so, Ben, that's the, see, that's the interesting thing. You got... Now, a March 4th date for being requested. County, Georgia, being requested. 
Let's not forget that there are 18 additional co-defendants in this, and they were anticipating on trying them as one, right, during this sprawling, sprawling case. Clearly, there's going to be delays. I mean, we know that Donald is the king of the delay tactics. The interesting thing that I find here is that while this case is fresh, and while it would be the first to go forward, I truly don't believe, and I really don't, that that's going to be the date that's held in stone. So, in most people's mind, they're like, yeah, but that, but now Donald gets another benefit, right? He gets another benefit. Uh, and so, no. Because then Manhattan DA case will go first, and then Bonnie will go second, and then one of the Jack Smith cases will go, you know, third, and then maybe the superseding indictment. Uh, we'll go forward. Who knows? All I can tell you is that as of March, Donald J. Trump is on trial. Plain and simple. And the result of each and every one of these cases, starting March of 2024, could end up with a criminal conviction and incarceration of some sort. Yeah, there will be a criminal case and perhaps multiple by the time you get into April of 2024, but I think certainly at least one, with the ramification, with the consequence being putting Donald Trump in jail for a very long period of time. And we see the tactics, though, that are developing. As Donald Trump attacks Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis, the judges, one of the, 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 the strange attributes that Georgia has. Georgia has all these great transparency laws, cameras in the courtroom, grand jury transparency, the cameras were allowed in, although the uh, identity of the grand jurors at first wasn't revealed, but like in the indictments, you see the grand jurors' names and what does Trump and all of his people do? Um, all of the MAGA followers kind of following Trump's um, stochastic terrorism the threats that he's made, Trump's implicitly basically telling people the way you would interpret it, in my opinion, the way people are interpreting this is, well, we need to go after these people who are going after Trump. Trump is making a call to action. So we've seen lots of threats being made to judges, to members of the grand jury. And as we were recording this live, you see uh, a, a, a press release put out by the Fulton County Sheriff's Department threats against Fulton County grand jurors. The Fulton County Sheriff's Office is aware that personal information of members of the Fulton County grand jury is being shared on various platforms. As the lead agency, our investigators are working closely with local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies to track down the origin of the threats in Fulton County and other jurisdictions. We take this matter very seriously and are coordinating with our law enforcement partners to respond quickly to any credible threat and to ensure the safety of those individuals who carried out their civic duty. If anyone becomes aware of a threat, please call 911 immediately or contact your local police department. Oh, and I want to talk about these threats with you. I want to talk about Donald Trump's tactics here. But let's take our last quick break of today. Heart health and staying healthy, especially when you have a family that you want to be able to spend as much time with as possible, 
is so, so important. We all have a heartfelt reason to support our blood pressure. In fact, more than half of the U.S. population would benefit from blood pressure support. Super Beats Heart Shoes are an easy and convenient way to support healthy blood pressure, and they promote heart-healthy energy. Paired with a healthy lifestyle, the antioxidants in Super Beats are clinically shown to pound Look, I wanted I want to say though I've been making a lot more healthy choices lately. Um, you know, as I start gearing up for 2024 as well with all the cases that are taking place, you know, I want to make sure that I've got the energy that I need and appreciate all of our sponsors for uh, I like that we've got a lot of good healthy sponsors as well. It's always a good thing. So Cohen when we took our last break, I showed you that statement from the Fulton County Sheriff's uh, Department. It's sadly not a surprise that when a political party, the Republicans, are engaged in stochastic terrorism, that they are going to stoke terrorism. Yeah, look, one thing that we know is that Donald doesn't care how he wins, as long as he wins. The problem that he's facing right now is that, you know, you cannot win in a situation such as this. You cannot win when you have, if you had the opportunity to read Fannie Willis's indictment, it reads like a book, and it all just flows. Look, there's enough information that's out there that has been presented by the media, that's been presented by Midas Touch Network, by my Mayor Culpa podcast, by, you know, news outlets that you trust, that you listen to, and that you engage with. And you already know the bulk of the story. What she did, what Bonnie Willis did, is she placed it in a very organized and a very telling way with names and with dates and with information that puts the entire story together. So... Whether or not you're sitting and you're listening to the bullshit of Alara Trump, if in fact you're listening to the bullshit of Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani, if you're going to listen to the bullshit of Kimberly Gargoyle, all right, and to the three of them, I give them the double, right, the two fucking fingers salute to the three of you, you bunch of assholes that are destroying democracy, and you sit there and you're trying to deflect and say that everybody else is destroying democracy. No, it's people just like you. The problem that you have is you cannot win in a case when the allegations that are being presented against you are so ironclad that they are so they are so written in stone that you can fight all you want. It's not going to benefit you because the documentary evidence that's there. The witness testimony that you don't even know about, and all of those that are out there flipping like if they're part of the U.S. gymnastics team, alright? Rest assured, people like Mark Meadows, alright? This idiot also doesn't want to go to prison, and they've seen what happens, right? What's going to end up resulting here is Donald, like you said before, Ben, and I agree wholeheartedly, Donald will be held accountable for these allegations, and I believe that he will be convicted starting in March. You know, certainly the surrogates aren't doing well. If the surrogates 
are giving the defense that he is going to give. Um, good luck with that. Janine Pirro, who pretends to be a... Oh, she's not. She's just a total and utter propagandist. A complete and utter moron. A, a complete and... sham but she's you know she, she, she coordinates with the Trump folks right like it's obvious that they coordinate what the strategy is what her talking points are going to be so she can act like she's doing the news when she's not but here she is here's the here's her defense and you know she 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 was a judge I don't know how uh, at one point in time but I want to show you this is what she believes a strong defense is going to be for Donald Trump following the Fulton County indictment. Play this clip. The issue is not whether he wanted to overthrow us, but did he believe that he won? If he believed that he won, pursuing all these avenues are okay for him because in themselves they are not illegal. If you say, look, I need to find 11,000 votes, that's very different from saying, I need you to find me 11,000 votes somewhere. He just knows he's behind by 11,700 votes. And finally, uh, did he know he lost and did he then pursue all these avenues or did he believe he won and was doing everything he can? It's going to be very hard to prove that. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you see, Donald Trump yeah. was involved in a treasure hunt amongst friends. He was yeah. following clues and he was just saying, where? Perchance, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, could you find me on the map here, the 11,780 votes? I mean, we all heard the call. The level of gaslighting, the level of ignorance, the level of just disinformation spewed, and the idiocracy there, Cohen. And by the way, by the end of it, by the end of it, even if you accepted her arguments, like, yeah, yeah, that's what he did. He's good. You see, so here's the thing. What she's doing is very similar to what Donald does, which is there is fact that she is putting out there that is accurate. If he believed that he won the election, it could be more difficult to prove. I've talked about that on television multiple times. If, in fact, that, you know, Donald was asking them, you know, to review, say, 11,780 votes because he truly believed that they were stolen, like no different than if you knew where your car was stolen and you go to retrieve it. I get that. Unfortunately, the part that's the disinformation and the misinformation by Judge Pirro, the, the part about it that is the lie, is that it completely excludes all of the facts and all of the information that Fannie Willis and her prosecutorial team have accumulated over the last two and a half years from individuals that have provided both the documentary evidence as well as the sworn testimony under oath, right, stating that Donald knew we had conversations. He knew that he lost, but that, you know, 
Nate Eastman, Coco, whoever it was, concocted or cheese bro, one of these assholes went ahead and they concocted a scheme in order to overturn the election by using these fake electors and the legislators. And so exactly as Kaludi, you know, was talking about in that inside edition. And by the way, why inside edition didn't press him on it? I don't know. Right. Because inside edition is not Newsmax. They should have pressed him as everybody, including whoever was interviewing Janine Pirro. What evidence do you have to show that Donald did not believe that he lost the election, that he believed the lies that were talked about by the um, by uh, Shia Moss and um, and Ruby, right? Uh, And Ruby Freeman, whereby he's making claims that a USB was being passed around like a vial of cocaine when in fact it was a ginger mint. All right. These are the things that she's ignoring. You can't ignore the facts and only run with innuendo. That's what they're doing, and that's why they're going to lose. Another reason. Another and that's exhibit. why she also gets part of the two-finger salute. Another exhibit I want to show, which will undoubtedly be brought up. You know, Trump just keeps generating evidence against himself. And, you know, what we're doing here is we're just showing you, here's what he said. Okay, it's it's not me just saying he's the worst person. He's a traitor. Like, okay, let's take a look at what he's saying right now. Donald Trump wrote on a social media platform that he was going to hold this press conference and he's going to prove that the election was actually stolen, even though his attorney general told him, "Donald Trump, you are crazy and you are wrong." Even though his vice president told him, "Nope, didn't happen." Even though. All of the lawyers on Team Normal who worked for him told him, nope, even though the new people who headed up the DOJ while he was still in office told him, nope, there's no evidence of that. Even though the Republican governor of Georgia, even the, even the governor, even the um, uh, secretary of state of Georgia, even though they told him. But Donald, even Donald Trump hired two consultant, two consultant groups, paid him each through his political action arm over close to a million dollars each. And they said, nope, no election fraud capable of overturning the election. Even the fraud in Arizona by the Cyber Ninja group, they found that Biden actually should get more votes in Arizona. And that was a complete fraud. Okay, so Donald Trump goes, a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report in the presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Based on the results of this conclusive, needs to be in caps, report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be complete exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the election. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers, he says. And then it goes, witch hunt, exclamation point. And then, as Donald Trump's former top White House lawyer, Ty Cobb, said, that sounds like more obstruction of justice to me. And if you're going to put forward another fraudulent report... That may be a new crime. Donald Trump's lawyers then told him, reported that it was a it was a potential new crime, and they said, "Don't do it." But it just goes and, and and shows you, Cohen. I mean that there's like literally zero control. This is a completely, completely. This should be completely disqualifying. And the fact that you've got your Ted Cruz's and your Lindsey Graham's and the entire Republican Party today 
loves this. It is something that we're going to keep on calling out here on Political Beatdown. I know you got to go back to your uh, vacation. We appreciate you spending the hour, but I'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, look, let me be very clear about it. The part that, again, each time I talk about it with our brigaders, why this blue wave that we will be a part of together, we will be a part of the blue wave that just engulfs this, you know, this red pond that, you know, that makes no sense. Um, it's not the America that we that we want. It's not the America that we're going to allow to happen. And when I say that, I'm talking about this still 30 percent plus right of the electorate. And you have like over now 50 percent of the Republican voting group block. These people are still pro-Donald. What does a guy have to do normally if a former president or somebody running for the presidency was indicted once on the charges that Donald was indicted on? It would be a disqualifier, but not one. How about two times? Well, no, not three times, not four times, and soon it'll be five times. Or in your case, if you're counting the superseding indictment, Six times. Should that not be a disqualifier automatically? Oh, look, that's why I say we cannot leave anything to chance. All right. We must make sure that, again, all of our family, all of our friends, our neighbors, everyone are registered to vote, that they're registered Democrat, and that we bring enough people to the polls in order to just absolutely knock out all of these ridiculous Republicans that are using this entire scenario not to benefit the American people, not to benefit America as a country, but rather to fill up their coffers because they are basically speaking to a group of racist, sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semites, just like their leader of the party. All right? Plain and simple. And we're going to put an end to it. Michael Cohen, we appreciate you taking the time out of your vacation oh, to spend this time with all of the political beatdown brigaders. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all the beatdown brigaders out there as well. Everybody, we appreciate you so much. Spread the word about the show. Make sure you check out Revenge, Michael Cohen's newest book, wherever books and audio books are sold. How Donald Trump weaponized the U.S. Department of Justice against his Critics also, you can support Michael Cohen's legal defense fund in connection. Oh, by the way, Ben, you forgot to talk about that. Today, actually, a filing went in in that in that case, um, waiting for the decision on to it. It was the reply brief against um, the the, uh, the the attempt in order to push the deposition off.
subscribe as well to uh, Legal and Political Beatdown uh, on whatever audio podcasts are available. And that's just here on the Midas Touch Network YouTube. Also, make sure you check out the Mea Culpa podcast, Microphone other podcasts. You can subscribe here on the Midas Touch Network to watch new episodes of Mea Culpa every Saturday. And you can also subscribe on audio podcasts to Mea Culpa as well. Thank you, Beatdown Brigaders. We appreciate you so much. We'll see you next time. This is my miracle bone. Don't break it on down now. Don't let me tell you my story. Don't grab me, yeah. Take my time. That's fine by me. This is my miracle bone. Don't break it on down now. So thanks for just turning on, okay? I think I had too many um, vinegar, apple cider gummies. So I just feel like I was going to pass out. Trump lawyers beg him to stop before it's too late. <laughs> Thanks for 229. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Donald Trump's lawyers are now desperately begging Donald Trump not to <laughs> hold a <laughs> press conference <laughs> event that Trump wants to hold where Trump says he's going to reveal the information that shows that the 2020 election was stolen. In other words, Donald Trump is going to hold a press conference spreading more lies, committing more crimes, Maybe and shoot potentially himself. getting himself charged with obstruction of justice by That'd putting awesome. out a fraudulent report to try to manipulate the jury, to try to manipulate the facts after he has been charged in multiple jurisdictions. Indeed, this could lead to further obstruction charges, both by Special Counsel Jack Smith in the Washington, D.C. Everybody would be better off. Donald Trump, the federal criminal case for Trump's contract in 2020 election, as well as in Fulton County, Georgia, in connection with the state criminal case brought against Donald Trump for crimes in Georgia relating to the 2020 election. Of course, those uh, charges in Georgia were turned by a grand jury that indicted Donald Trump on Monday in a sprawling RICO or racketeering uh, complaint, 98 pages, 41 counts. 18 other co-defendants, 30 unindicted co-conspirators, a very detailed and powerful complaint. Here's the article right here by ABC. It's Trump's legal advisors urge him to cancel press conference <laughs> to refute Georgia allegations, according to sources. Trump announced the plan to release info on alleged election interference sources though are telling ABC News that Trump's legal advisors have told him that holding such a press conference 
with dubious claims of voter fraud will only complicate his legal problems, and some of his attorneys have advised him to cancel it. But because Donald Trump doesn't listen to his lawyers, and his lawyers have now, many of them, become criminal defendants because... MAGA stands for Make Attorneys Get Attorneys. Just think about it. The lawyers, in order to try to convince Donald Trump, have to go to the media so that ABC can uh, prepare a report and they can publish a story that maybe Donald Trump will read and persuade him not to do the uh, press conference. Here's what Donald Trump said shortly after being indicted by Fulton County District Attorney Phony Willis. Trump said, a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on presidential election fraud, which took place in Georgia, is almost complete and will be presented by me at a major news conference at 11 a.m. on Monday of next week in Bedminster, New Jersey. Sounds pretty specific on the date and time right there. Based on the results of this conclusive report, all charges should be dropped against me and others. There will be a complete, he puts this in caps, exoneration. They never went after those that rigged the elections. They only went after those that fought to find the riggers. And Donald Trump then goes, witch hunt, all in caps with an exclamation point. Should be noted, Donald Trump's former vice president, Donald Trump's former attorney general, all of Donald Trump's normal White House lawyers, uh, the governor of Georgia, the secretary of state of Georgia, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, uh, all of the United States attorneys, uh, the deputy United States attorney, everybody, the deputy attorney general, everyone says that Donald Trump's claims are completely false, completely bogus. 70 federal lawsuits Donald Trump lost because federal judges, including many appointed by Donald Trump, ruled that he had absolutely no evidence at all. We've seen the emails from Trump's lawyers like John Eastman admitting that Trump was filing a declaration under penalty of perjury falsely, fraudulently, saying that there were dead people who voted that didn't. Eastman says, yeah, these stats are uh, completely wrong. We got the text message of Trump's former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, also confirming that all the data by Donald Trump is fraudulent. I mean, I, could, I mean, there's so many. It's overwhelming. Oh, by the way, Trump's political action arm hired two separate consultants, paid them each close to $1 million to conduct a report on whether there was fraud capable of overturning the election. They found nothing even close Nothing at all. They, they found that Donald Trump's statements were uh, just disgusting conspiracy theories. They told that to Trump. Trump ignored those reports. But these were the reports that he commissioned. And even when you have, like, what do they call themselves, the Cyber Ninjas, that ridiculous group that did the fraud in Arizona, they actually found that to the extent there were any errors, Biden should have gotten more votes than he did. Um, and so that was debunked right away. But Donald Trump wants to hold a press conference on Monday at Bedminster. Again, it's going to be obstruction of justice. If he does, it'll likely be a crime. So now Trump's lawyers are begging him, please don't do that. By the way, Trump's former top White House lawyer, Ty Cobb, just recently gave an interview where he explained just that, that doing this press conference would 
potentially result in another charge of obstruction of justice. Play this interview. He's going to be giving a, quote, major news conference, his words. He says he will present a large, complex, detailed, but irrefutable report on the presidential election fraud which took place in Georgia. Of course, Ty, there, there was no fraud in Georgia. I mean, Brian Kemp is as conservative as a Republican comes, um, and, and he has been very loud and clear that there's no fraud in Georgia. Audit, audit, audit. It's ridiculous to even go through it. But yet this is what the foreign president is going to do next week and try to flood the airwaves with. What is he doing with that? Uh, yeah, this is all, this is all Trump. You know, PR, this is, you know, uh, generating chaos. Uh, I mean, frankly, there's a good chance that whatever document he produces ends up as evidence against him. It could even, could even end up, you know, as the basis for an obstruction count against, uh, against the author because it's likely to be fiction uh, and solely for the purpose of um, uh, you know, contaminating the jury pool. The reality is, you know, Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger each deserve... Um, uh, you know, a pat on the back for the courage that they've shown putting, you know, country before party. Uh, and I think, uh, um, you know, the absence of evidence of, of fraud is uh, patently obvious to anybody who's followed the Georgia events. Uh, and certainly anybody who reads this indictment will be able to see how fraudulently those claims were made. Also, looking for great restaurants in Dublin? News Open will be able to see how fraudulently those claims were made. Also in the same interview, Ty Cobb mentions how Donald Trump's lawyers' defense of threatening the prosecutor, sorry, threatening the uh, uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, that those are aspirational asks, that Donald Trump asking people to overthrow the results of the election is aspirational. Ty Cobb is, is actually fairly easy smart guy. Is brilliant here in this interview, and he's just like, so you're saying it's an aspirational ask? If a bank robber says they want to rob a bank, is that an aspirational ask? Here, play this other clip of Ty Cobb. Um, he asked in an aspirational way. He went on to say, asking is not speech. It's not action. That's the heart of this, right? Speech versus action. Does that defense fly here? Not at all. Um, I'm, I'm not aware of the aspirational defense um, or the free speech uh, defense to uh, <laughs> to a gang leader saying to two of his uh, subordinates, I need you two to please rob a bank for me, and they do it. Um, you know, that's, that's aspirational, uh, but it leads to a crime. Uh, and that's exactly what Trump did, uh, did with Pence. This is what Donald Trump, I mean, this is the MAGA party right now. This is probably what the press conference will look like at Bedminster. This was an event that uh, the pillow guy, the fascist pillow guy, Mike Lindell, is holding. Uh, spreading lies and deranged conspiracies about the election in a small room of 100 people. But this is what I guess they, what Trump wants to do here, play this clip of these despicable lies. This is by Mike Woodwell. Play the clip. All the way to Hawaii and Alaska and every, every state in between, 
this country is 68% red if Amen. we get the machines gone. Now you think of that.